Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To keeping it strong style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review the first two nights of G1 Climax 33 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for njpwworld.com. Frequently updated and features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? The listeners at home will be happy to... Uh be informed that I did locate the twist tie from last week. <laughs> I know everybody was uh, very worried, very concerned, got, got a lot of concerning emails. Yeah. So I just want to ease everybody's minds, you know, put their minds to rest at ease, whatever. I found it. It was on the rug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shout out to a uh, rich lad of the homie for uh, the, the, the terrible intro music for this show. <laughs> I was just gonna <laughs> bring that up. Yeah, you know Did that happened this week. I feel like that happened weeks ago. It felt like a long time. But it was actually last week. Yeah, one of the oh, okay, one of the uh, infamous. You know what New Japan podcast I listen to posts pop up on the Reddit, and of course people are throwing in you know keeping a strong style, J Cast, flagship, and 
You know, one person's like, I like keeping it strong style, but man, that theme sucks or whatever they said. <laughs> yeah, it said the theme was shitty. <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> well, I mean, after about six years, there had to be at least one person who hated the theme, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like if we ever do change the theme, it's probably going to be Rich doing it. <laughs> So this could be worse for that for that individual. I don't know. Uh, oh man, but yeah, the G one is upon us, my guy. Uh, yo, when are you leaving again? Uh, August tenth. So I'm leaving the day of the quarterfinals. So you'll be gone for two weeks. Yes. All right. So uh, we gotta figure that out. Yeah, Chris Sampson said he he'd be down to be on the 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 review episode for the the quarter semi and final. So. We'll find some other people to uh, the plug in the week before, and then. I mean, I might be able to do that myself. Yeah, you can, we'll you can, figure we'll figure it out. Yeah. So then, also, we have a uh, episode three hundred coming up, uh, about six weeks away from that, and we are lining up some special stuff for that episode. So that should be good times as well. Yeah, for faithful friends of the show, faithful listeners, the tradition lives on. That's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, let's uh, talk G1 Climax 33. I think let's start off with the press conference. So we had uh, the big press conference. And, you know, it's been uh, several years since we were at the G1 press conference in Dallas in 2019, where we got our credentials and got to be a part of the big uh, press conference. So it's not like we wouldn't go. They just keep forgetting to send us the invite for these, you know, these ones at Cork and we wouldn't even attend the actual shows. We would just go to the press conference. We would just, you know, buy thousand dollar plane tickets to Japan just for the no, press. They'd conference. have to fly us out, but once they fly <laughs> us out, we don't expect comps to cork in or to anything like that. Just get us into the room for the press conference, then we'll go home. That's it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so we had journalism. <laughs> we had the G1 press conference, of course. You know, a lot of people see it as the the annual uh, New Japan fashion show. We had uh, all the guys, well, some of the guys in their their best uh, dress attire. What what did you think about uh, the threads out here on, on the press conference? Uh, nobody was really stunting the way that uh, you know, usually year over year, there's a few individuals that kind of like stand out really you know sort of a you know show like showcase the drip and i mean your usual your usual suspects still look good okada always has a great suit on tanahashi what have you but there was nobody that stood out that was like oh yeah like they have an immaculate you know sense of fashion it just kind of was a I don't know, man. Like, and I don't even want to go over everyone's fashion too much. But <laughs> there just wasn't really anything from a classical. Like, damn, they they they're dressed to the nines. There was nothing like that this year. It's a, a very casual, probably because how hot the summer heat is right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kenta showed up in a tank top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, there there were some standouts like. Um, in, in the other way, like Shane Haste wore the orange uh, tuxedo from Dumb and Dumber uh, with the, you know, uh, whatever, the, the, the thing that goes around the stomach and the top hat, all of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Yoshi- damn full. Yoshihashi was like, yeah, I, I was worried that, you know, I wasn't wearing a full suit that, you know, a blazer and a shirt wouldn't be enough. 
and look around and see that I'm all right. But yeah, uh, press conference good. I thought there's a lot of interesting promos. Uh, I mean, Alex Coughlin, uh, his uh, his story about the, the New Japan office not giving him uh, the T-shirt for his family uh, that felt uh, very real, and that was pretty intriguing. Yeah, Alex Coughlin's uh, promo for better or for worse was extremely compelling. Um, I don't know. I don't know, like, it's in that blurry line of work shootness where you're not really sure uh, sort of how to take it because it's like, is he allowed to say this because it fits in with this new persona and character? Or uh, does this guy just not give a fuck anymore because, like, (laughs) (laughs) he's had it with the company and, like, you know, that sort of, is he working or is he shooting? You know, I, yeah. I feel like Stone Cold Steve Austin right now. <laughs> is he working or is he shooting? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, regardless, whether it was a work or a shoot, it did not paint the company in a positive light whatsoever. I mean, he basically said that the company didn't, you know, that he had multiple people in his family pass away. He didn't go to any of those funerals. He stayed and trained and then, all the while through all these years they've given him you know uh, according to the promo very little to almost no opportunities he's been this is only his fifth time coming to japan in five years and uh you know it's taken you know x number of of you know months before he's been able to come back or whatever and then he wasn't even going to be in the g1 except for the fact that aussie open pretty much ended up, you know, working the office, left the company, went to AEW, and because of them not getting in, then the company extended the offer for him to be in the G1, which he's like, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for <laughs> letting me know that I'm an afterthought in this case. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he delivered it with a lot more vitriol than I am right now. If you haven't heard that, that's the one, um, I would say, like, standout promo of the entire uh, the entire thing like he really like drove home like you know a lot of the personal turmoil but then speaking of the the t-shirts that you uh, brought up Jeremy he mentioned that like he's gotten no merch he's got no press from the company and then his brother designs a shirt the office he claims still hasn't paid his brother for the design and you know the one time he asked the company for comps on the shirts the company said that they were only limiting those to active wrestling talent, unfortunately. So he's like, you know, I, I sacrificed all this. I didn't go see my grandparents when they died. I didn't go see my uncle when they died, you know, and, and you can't give me two t-shirts, but you have enough money to pay, to, you know, buy to Sasha pay for Banks. Sasha Banks yeah. to come work here, <laughs> you know, that sort of shit. So yeah, very interesting. He was like, yeah, they were like, they told me that uh, the shirts, there's a Halloween sale coming up. You, you could you could do that <laughs> to get the shirts. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, uh, aside from that, I mean, what were your takeaways, Jeremy? Uh, also, on the, the other end of the War Dogs, you had uh, Gabe Kidd. Uh, again, kind of his uh, unhinged promos, and he attacked Suji and Kiyomiya. And he got yeah. uh, uh, pulled away from security from the press conference. Um but besides, I would say yeah, those are probably the two kind of standout moments. Pretty much everything else was kind of your just kind of normal, typical. typical I'm going to win, you know, Tanahashi, you know, uh, I'm going to win the G1 in a snap, <laughs> which, which he always says. Um, 
you know, pretty much everybody's, you know, uh, Ishii, like he's sitting in Dallas, pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm just going to beat people up, just going to smash. Um, yeah, um, there was a point um, with the Gabe Kid uh, promo where I didn't totally understand what he was trying to say. Maybe he had, I, I replayed a few times, but I couldn't understand. He's like, you know, name me one competitor in this in this block that had four fake cars outside his house and then is now in the G1. I'm like, what do you, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming it has something to do with the, uh, the issues that he had last year or whatever. But um, yeah. And he got an Okada's facing. He was going to beat the shit out of him. Yada, yada. Um, some of the funny promos. Kenta was hilarious. Yeah. He's ugly. He's ugly. <laughs> Basically saying everybody else in his block was unattractive. He's the the most attractive man in his block. They're all ugly, so he's already won the block essentially. That was hilarious. ELP. And then, um, ELP was so funny. ELP basically feigning, uh, you know, a throat injury, unable to speak. So he prepared a speech. He gives it to Chris Charlton, and then he does sign, you know, a form of sign language and it's all expletive filled and you know he's talking about how tangaloa needs to take his shirt off because <laughs> he's got the sweetest tits there are and uh you know he really likes tai chi and he hopes they can become friends and eskimo brothers <laughs> <laughs> crazy shit like that which and then is he's uh, like, pretty yeah, funny. uh great ocon um like we both watch anime like i watch anime and you uh and chris, chris wouldn't read it and he's doing the the jerk off motion. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, this wasn't the most lively or interesting or even informative of the uh, press conferences. And, you know, I like when they take the photo on the lawn. What happened to that? They're not doing that shit no more. I guess it's too hot. I guess so. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's always good to see the guys go out there and, you know, talk some shit. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a brief bit of tension between Kiyomiya and Okada, uh, which is always nice. And I, I honestly, I felt like the A block was the most interesting of the conversations because everyone's talking about the future. All these guys got heat with each other and it just kind of, uh, you know, came brought to the surface. A lot of the things that we discussed last week on the preview episode. Yeah. I thought Suji man was just oozing of charisma and like, mm-hmm. dude, he, it felt like he kind of like captured the room and he just looked like Gene a Blast be blasted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the G and G one is for Gene Blast. <laughs> yeah, bro. That t-shirt. What happened there? Cause... <laughs> <laughs> well, on, on the show last week, I told Zach, you know, jokingly, I said, Zach, make the shirt. And then next thing I know. In my uh, Facebook Messenger, he uh, he made a design for the for the shirt and sent it to me. So I didn't know who made it. I didn't know why. I didn't know that you posted it. I didn't see anything. Next thing, I, I just see a like a tweet from Chris Ham says like Joshua, and I was like, what What did I do? And then I look and I'm like, Oh my god! <laughs> if you guys haven't seen, definitely go to our Twitter and check that out. Yeah, I got a lot of traction, a lot of laughs. I had nothing to do with it, even though I might have inspired. The uh, the design itself last week on the episode, uh, <laughs> I did not design that. I did not post it. Oh man! But my dog Gene Blast, he's out here, bro. Yeah, he is. He's letting them know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's uh, start talking about uh, the two shows that happened this past weekend. So 
The tournament kicked off night one from Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. We had an attendance of 3,145 for the first night. And, you know, I don't know the, the max capacity of that building, but there was definitely, you could definitely see some empty seats throughout the building, especially in some of the, the upper sections. So obviously it wasn't a, a sold out pack house, but. Uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, classic openers for the G1 traditionally over the past like decade or so, maybe going back further, I don't know. They've done a kind of perfectual sports arena many times, and it is a big building. I The one thing that always uh, stands out to me about that arena is how long it is. It sort of give it's not a huge building, but like it's like oblong and that's why I always know that they're there because the roof is like so freaking long and it yeah. kind of gives it this big epic feel, even if it's not like your traditional like sumo hall or, or what, what have you. But yeah, there was a lot of empty seats there. It, they did. They definitely didn't draw the kinds of crowds that you traditionally would expect for Hokkaido G1 opener, but they still had what I thought were pretty good, lively crowds, regardless of the number. Yeah, and I'm sure if we look back at the last couple COVID numbers, I think they're also higher than those numbers. So also still kind of rebuilding back the audience and getting people out to shows. But yeah, overall, I thought the crowds, it was a decent crowd size for, for both nights. I would say night one, they started off a little quiet, uh, but eventually kind of picked up towards the show. And then I felt like night two, they were pretty lively for, for the whole night. Yeah, and, and we're going to do the full review here, but... First thing I got to say, Jeremy, and this is just my opinion, I much preferred night one over night two. I know this is one of those weird situations where I know a lot of people could look at just like, say, the cage match scores. And if you just quantified, well, which show had the greater quantity of high-end matches, it's probably in most people's opinion night two. Mm-hmm. But that show sucked to me, man. Like, I don't know. Like, well, maybe not sucked, but like there was a lot of like the the vibe of it and the way it like flowed. I just was not feeling night two. But night one, even though night one maybe didn't peak the same way night two did, mm-hmm. whole overall that excitement of like a first night of the G1, that's that, that usually counts for something. And there's a lot of upsets and surprises. I thought night one was the better show overall, just for me personally. Yeah, I feel like night one, I don't know, I feel like it was, it was definitely more exciting. Um, I did get up 4 a.m. Eastern time to watch the, the opening show and watch it live. And so it was definitely, it felt like a, a buzz there. Uh, but I would say, like, yeah, night two, I would say I had probably more higher rated matches. And maybe it was just maybe the match order that maybe made the show kind of weird for night two. Uh, but I, I think it is. And it's one of those things where I think that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and we'll see that here with night one, too. There was a couple things here that could have been, probably be positioned a little bit better that mm-hmm. made this show. But overall, I would say besides the main event, night one had that more traditional New Japan where you start at a good opener and you build all your, your way up and you're, you're kind of building right. momentum until the main event. Yeah, and I think that because we've got a mix of... And this is something I wasn't clear on, and obviously I'm not the biggest on... Uh, Anyone that listens to the show, I don't usually like plot out these tournaments night after night to look at what the actual schedule is. (laughs) So correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, based on what we're seeing here, this first show was block 
A and block B action, and then night two was block C and block D action. Is that what we're going to be seeing the majority of the tournament? Yes, so A and B will always okay. be together, and C and D will always be together. See, I, I even last week on the preview show, I, I maybe we said that, but I didn't pick it up or, or pick up on it, so I... That actually makes a lot more sense. That's how they did the press conference, and it makes everything a lot more cohesive for the tournament overall. Yeah, definitely easier to follow than last year. But at the same time, if you're the booker and, and you know you're uh, arranging the match order, it's gonna be it's got to be pretty challenging to create a compelling show, but also adhere to the A, B, or C, D you know block structure all throughout the night at the same time. Right, yeah, definitely a, a challenging position there, and and we'll see here from this first card. There were some decisions that were made, and you can, mm-hmm. under, you can understand why they were made, but it probably would have been a better show if some things were changed up. Well, you know, I guess we'll be the deciders of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the show opened up with uh, the first match from the B block. We had one half of the IWGP Tag Team Champions. Yoshihashi defeating the headbanger El Fantasmo 10 minutes and 56 seconds. Yeah, uh, ELP, interesting, because on uh, during the press conference, I don't know if you noticed this, but like when he got announced during when they were like bringing everybody out, he got one of the loudest pops of anybody in the building. Um, but then like live in the in the uh audience during the matches. I don't know if like people are completely sure about this new persona with him uh, being part of Hauntai and everything like that. Like he's not getting those kinds of reactions, you know, in the buildings. You know what I mean? It's weird. Yeah, I don't think he's officially joined Hauntai yet. They haven't thrown a line mark up on his uh, nameplate when he comes out. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Um, and again, I felt like Hokkaido was just kind of quiet mm-hmm. going, going into this show. Well, these guys had a match last year that I thought was one of the better block matches of the tournament and sort of like one of those low-key bangers. And while this match wasn't by any means bad, it it didn't hit those same kind of strides or high marks that I sort of expected. Mm-hmm. At the same time, down the stretch, I felt like they had a competent match and then down the stretch, they really started to turn things up and it turned around and got very good. But then it sort of just ended abruptly. Um, I don't know if I was expecting Yoshihashi to be ELP here. Uh, that's got to be one of the kind of quasi upsets of the tournament. But it was a it was a standard good opening match overall. Yeah, I really enjoyed. It. I thought it was a good way to kick the show off. Like you said, it wasn't as probably the highest their match last year, but I thought there was a lot of really cool back and forth stuff here. Uh, ELP did a lot of cool high flying as usual Hit a big line salt uh, Midway throughout the match uh, Followed up with a frog splash For a near fall uh, They traded near falls um, And then Yoshihashi busts out a Crucifix driver to get the win here Yeah This kind of reminded me in a certain way Of what we've seen From the uh, best of the super junior tournaments The past couple of years where People win in In you know, kind of unconventional manners. And I was wondering, I'm like, you know, the structure of this tournament isn't completely unlike best of the super juniors. Are we going to start seeing people using 
unconventional methods to win their matches. And that didn't really pan out the rest of the night, but that was my first vibe that I got seeing him utilize this uh, crucifix bomb uh, pinfall win. I'm also wondering, is this a new wrinkle in his game and something we're going to see, you know, uh, Yoshihashi continue to utilize throughout the tournament? I don't know. Right, yeah, it could be a new finisher for him, or it just could be the situation of like, all right, I only got 20 minutes, I'm trying to win as quickly as possible, let me do this new kind of flash pin and get out of here. Yeah, I, I like the crucifix bomb, like, uh, you know, peeling the, the curtain back a little bit, uh, that was a, that's a move that I like to use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's like probably like one of the first like indie high spots I saw at like the early 2000s, draws like... It, it looks incredible, but... It's not, I mean, if I'm doing it, <laughs> if I can do it, then it kind of tells you, you don't got to be that athletic to use it. <laughs> but it, it looks but, great, though, and, like, people do it. Like, I think I think Amazing Red is probably the first guy I think I saw use it back in the day, and on the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, they're not doing that in WWE. <laughs> now, one thing I will say, I didn't think Yoshihashi, now it was fine the way Yoshihashi used it, but the way he used it was it didn't give me like finisher vibes the way that like the first time you saw uh Sonata use deadfall, you were like, Oh, that's a finish, you know? And you kind of know, I didn't expect him to beat ELP off of this. I thought it was sort of just like another high spot. Nice near fall. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and I was like, Oh, well, you know, I'll give him the pass. It's G one. We're going to apply some survivor series logic here. You can beat people with moves. You don't normally beat them with, but I'm thinking maybe it is like a, you know, a signature sort of move for him now. We'll, we'll see, but uh good match nonetheless. Yeah. And, you you know, big win for Yoshihashi. This is probably going to be one of those wins for ELP that probably is pretty important mathematically down the stretch. Yeah, for him, I would say this was a winnable match that's definitely yeah, going to hurt him down the stretch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then uh, following that, we had the first match from the A block, which was the crown jewel Chase Owens defeating war-ready Gabe Kidd. Uh, so this match kind of started off with a little uh, angle pretty much where, uh, you know, Chase was coming out first and then Gabe Kidd hit him with a chair on the ramp. And then, you know, he's just did a brawling all throughout the crowd, a ramp side. And then uh, Gabe Kidd goes a little perk angle, does the, the big tope off the stage to Chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, to yeah, to chase on the outside, and then you know they're brawling back in the ring, and then the match picks up from there. You know, it's one of those things, Jeremy. For some people, this stuff works. For some people, this doesn't. And you know, I gotta tell you, I like it, <laughs> bro. It, it worked for me. Uh, I really, because I saw a lot of people. It, maybe you and I are on a certain wavelength. A lot of people did not like. Yeah, a this lot of people. At all. I know a lot of people were very low on the match overall. They didn't like the whole angle. For me, I, I I counted the angle as a part of the match, and I I liked the whole thing. Look, yes, you know, and and obviously wrestling isn't just star ratings and you know uh, you know snowflakes and everything like that. But that is you know, you're, if you're listening to the show, you're probably on the nerdier side of wrestling fandom, and uh, you know there are people that quantify wrestling matches based on the way they grade them. If you're just looking at the match in a vacuum and you're not taking into account the post and pre-match angles, sure, uh, a two-minute, 55-second, uh, you know, G1 match between Gabe Kidd and uh, Chase Owens, you might not have liked it. But the pre-match shenanigans that led up to it, 
dude. Maybe it, you like it. Maybe you don't. I liked it. You know, I and maybe I think part of it is this: ten years, bro. Ten years of two dudes from Bullet Club coming out to the ring, too sweet in each other, making the the jokes. You lay down. No, you, you lay, lay down, down. I lay down. You know, and then, oh, I'm going to go pin you. Oh, no, you're going to pin me. Oh, and then, and then it starts to break down, and then it's all funny and ha, 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 and then they get serious, and then, you know, whatever. We've seen every derivative version of that match in multiple blocks for years and years and years. It was about time a motherfucker came out with a chair and just said, bow. (laughs) (laughs) And just jump zoned a bitch like it was SmackDown in 2016. (laughs) Dude, immediately I was like, oh, yep, jump zone. (laughs) Dude, Gabe Kid, he's just so unhinged. And like, Gabe Kid's crazy, bro. Dude, like, He's he's like the new the real new loose cannon. Like this man's just like unhinged, unpredictable. This is crazy wild man. You just never know what he's gonna do, what he's gonna say. And yeah, I thought the whole the whole pre match brawl was just great, and it made Gabe Kidd just look like a crazy wild man. Yeah, and you know, last week we were talking about like yeah, most of these blocks don't have any uh, any major inter interfactional matches or anything. We like didn't even bring up the fact that Gabe Kidd and um, Chase Owens are in the same Bullet Club or whatever because it almost feels like they're not. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Chase Owens is like a dedicated member of the core unit of Bullet Club. This is not a House of Torture member. This is not a guy that, like, uh, you know, is part of Fale's rogue army. He's not <laughs> Bullet Club Gold, you know. He he's OG Bullet Club, you know. He's one of the dudes that I maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Like, did he not turn on ELP when the whole, you know, are we going to accept David Finley or not? Like, he's one of those guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, he even said on commentary when he the post match, he was like. Kevin, there's a reason why I've survived four decades, you know, four, you know, eras of Bullet Club. He's like, I'm Bullet Club for life. And that's true. He's all, dude, Chase is a loyal soldier. Like, he'll, he'll, uh, oh, AJ's the leader? I'll follow AJ. Oh, Kenny's the leader? I'll follow Kenny. I'll follow Jay. I'll follow Finley. I'll follow whoever. (laughs) This is a loyal dude. And Chase, and and Game Kid, while he's making his entrance, comes out and he goes, take the hard end of the chair. He beat his ass all throughout the crowd. He, they they <laughs> go to that one section, and Gabe Kid lays out all the young boys. He's like Oscar Loebe, bow. You know Yuta Nakashima, bow. Yeah. You know what's the what's the big dude's name? Uh, Bol- Bolton Oleg. Bolton Oleg, number three in the world, freestyle, bow. I'll take that. <laughs> He's ripping up, ripping me, up bitch. the the chairs and the gate and then the crowd. Bro, I didn't know what was go. I I should have known that they were setting up for a big spot, but I I was like, well, at least they're not brawling in the crowd, you know. At least they're 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 keeping the women and the children safe. And then suddenly he starts leaving. Like, what's he going to do? And then he goes run down the rap. I'm like, oh shit, per angle. <laughs> yeah, I loved this. And then as soon as like after all the beat down and the hoopla and everything, I was like, oh, this man's for sure. Losing this match, he's about to eat a package pile driver. And two minutes and fifty-five seconds into the match, this man gets dropped on his dome. Yeah, does the does the job. One, two, three. That's the only thing you could probably say that was negative about it. Was like ninety-nine point 
98% of the match and the pre-match angle were all Gabe Kidd. And all Chase Owens did was package pile driver this man. He gave him a a C-trigger and he gave him a package pile driver and he got out of there, got his paycheck and went home. (laughs) Yeah, after the match, he like lifted his hand up too sweet at him. Went to Kevin. He's like, "There's a reason why I've survived so many airs of bull clubs." Like, I don't know what that was about. We're gonna have to have a little talk in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> when it was over, like the way the way he was as the way he was attacking Chase Owens is like, "Oh, Chase is not in the bull club anymore." <laughs> <laughs> he thinks he is, but this man's out. And Chase is like, "Nah, <laughs> my spot is forever." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of wish this. I kind of wish Gabe would have won, but I, I get what they were doing. But yeah, overall, I, I loved it. Now I will say this: putting you know, now this might appeal to me, and it might appeal to you. I didn't feel, even though it did get some heat for sure, it didn't get that monster heat that you would kind of expect in a situation like this. Maybe this speaks to what you were bringing up that Hokkaido was a little bit quiet early on that also might speak to just the idea that this crowd wasn't into certain wrestlers as they have been in the past, you know, like Mm -hmm. there is a thing where like we're in this a block, we have all these young, there's a youth movement and with youth also comes non-establishment. Not all these guys have that sort of equity and connection with the crowds as maybe they do with some of the fans at home. And they didn't seem to care about Gabe Kidd at this point. I'm not, I'm not saying that won't change, but, like, he wasn't getting the kinds of, like, massive heat that we've seen in the past when he's throwing the chairs around, coming through the crowd and everything. Right, like yeah, the, so, la- the last couple of tours, yeah, him and Coughlin have been getting really, really great heat. Yeah, and and Hokkaido was like, eh. they they were indifferent a little bit honestly and maybe that also might be a reason why people at home were like fuck this bullshit (laughs) g1 (laughs) we'd have a question here from uh barry walsh says i read an interview with gabe yesterday and he was saying f the g1 and f new japan we're holding them back for so long i like that they have a lot of leniency to say whatever they want backstage and in interviews and i love gabe speaking his mind with the new character direction however as discussed on the show, the LA Dojo guys were kept away for too long, and with that in mind, is there any danger he now upsets senior management with these types of statements? Do you know of any time that has happened in the past where someone said something in backstage comments and it's caused issues for them from above? You know, it's one of, uh, and I don't have a specific instant in mind. It, is that something that's feasibly believable? Could it happen? Absolutely. At the same time, like in Japanese wrestling and locker rooms, a lot of things are hearsay. It's like a lot of whispers, and rumbles. They play things a lot more close to the chest, and it's harder to get the inside scoop on what's really occurring oftentimes in these locker rooms. So um, could it be that this – and this kind of go what you're bringing up is very much in line with the same logic and reasoning I had when I was watching uh, Alex Coughlin during the G1 press conference. I'm like, is he doing a great job getting his new character over as an, as a anti-establishment bullet club, you know, shit heel, Mm -hmm. 
Or is he fucking upsetting the management <laughs> and they're going to make him job the rest of the <laughs> You know, I started thinking about like, you know, think about Carl Fredericks and him speaking out out of turn on, on um, social media. And now he's working in the raw, not raw, in NXT, NXT underground. underground. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And part of it's exciting because we don't know the answers to that. I mean. Could we make a couple calls and probably find out? Sure, but I haven't felt the impetus to do anything like that. Like, I'm kind of like a new, like a WWE fan. I'm, I'm gonna let it play out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's more exciting that way. Yeah, I don't like to always try and um, have a scoop. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not really. I mean, we, bro, some we get scoops and we don't even fucking break them all the time. And then sometimes you you. You accidentally give a scoop and then people turn it into a fucking Tumblr post. <laughs> and then I'm like, I thought we were in the circle of trust. <laughs> what the fuck is this about? <laughs> Remind me to never talk about AEW again. <laughs> oh, man. Well, moving on to the next match from the B block, we had the return of Tanga Loa coming back from a surgically repaired knee. He defeated Kenta 12 minutes and 46 seconds. Rough. Yeah. Match was rough. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. And um, I, I see uh, a lot of people blaming Tanga Loa for this. And I, I blame Kenta. Thank you. Thank I- you. They're so I blame imp- Kenta. Like Kenta hasn't been rough for the last three years. <laughs> yeah, bro. There's so many people um, that are like, "Oh, yes, it's all you know, all Tangaloa, blah blah." I'm like, "Yes, don't get me wrong. Tangaloa is not the greatest wrestler in the world. He's not a somebody has a, a resume of like four star bangers. But a lot of this match, being the way it was, fell on Kenta." And it's the 2023 Kenta that we've been talking about. All the shenanigans and the ref bumps and all, you know, he's he's doing the Jay White-ism. The spirit of Jay White lives this year with him, you know, rolling out at the ring at the beginning of the match and all the powdering. And it's just like, and again, the crowd was not into this. So you just had a really heated segment that got no reaction. And now you're having this, like, kind of cheap heat. Um, section section here that's getting no reaction either. It just it just did not come out well. It was fine. You know, one thing I will say, I, I am a little concerned with Tangaloa's knee and his mobility and and his ability to perform. And like you said, it's I mean, don't get us wrong. We're not going to sit here and be like Tangaloa was a dynamo in the ring prior to this. Although we are fans of Tangaloa, don't don't get it twisted. The amount of single major singles matches opportunities he's had prior to this tournament, they've been fairly minuscule. And I mean, really, he's just had one other G1 and maybe what a new Japan Cup. There's not a lot to kind of go off of anyways. That being said, I felt like his his prolonged shine sequence was basically just a heat sequence disguised as a shine. And it wasn't really anything that was uh to me super exciting or anything like that uh this was definitely like a brawling style match for a lot of it and then eventually kenta cut him off and started started attacking the knee and there is no secret that tingaloa is recovering from 
you know, knee surgery and rehab. But damn, if we're going to have to sit through it, <laughs> you know, it's funny there. I feel like I encapsulate the old school as well as the new school, because it's like, don't get me wrong. I like a good body part match. They're, they're, like, for instance, you know, friend of the show, Rich, Rich hates a body part match. Like, he's like, nah, let Fucking run it. Let's do some flips. <laughs> do some moves, baby. Do some moves, baby. That's not me. I think there's a time and a place to do it, but there's a right way to do it and a and a cool and exciting way to do it. But if we got to see this style of uh, of attacking the leg, oh damn! And if it's gonna be all all tournament, <laughs> it's gonna be gonna be a rough one from a guy that people already weren't super high on as a singles anyway. Like it's gonna be rough. My advice would be let's figure out a way to make this guy the monster i like when he hits ape shit i like when he fucks people up let's get tingle over fucking people up can we do that like is yeah. that okay <laughs> yeah that that would be a much better game plan than having him yeah sell the leg for yeah 10 minutes and then oh god <laughs> come back and some slow ass selling and some <laughs> slow ass attacking and, and all the shenanigans like you know, and, and if you think this is all in Tangaloa, and don't get me wrong, I, I put some blame on him, but it's like 30, 70. Like if, if if you don't if you don't think Kenta's the problem here, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, Kenta's not Kenta. Remember when we were at the at the bringing up the press conference and Kenta was telling everyone he's gonna show the world his style pro wrestling, and I was like, what is what 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 is it that you're trying to say? Like, let's quantify it. What is Kenta's, you know, style for wrestling. He's like, I will show you. Damn, bro, it's been like five years. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been showing us, and it's, it's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like, 2019 was, was a pretty good, but then after that, he's like, man, I'm, I'm laying it down. <laughs> Every now and again, we see Kenta's pro wrestling, the old, you know. The GHC it pro it's wrestling. It's a lot of Hideo, bro. Yeah. <laughs> A lot, a lot of 205 out here. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, uh, moving on to the next match, we had from the A block, the son of strong style, Ren Narita, wrestling to a 20-minute time limit draw against the roughneck Shota Umino. You know, Jeremy, I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me, and I know for sure, I know for a fact, I know you very well, you're not going to agree with me. But this was the match of the night, in my personal opinion. Um, and you're probably not far off anyways. Yeah, honestly, th- this and one other match, I gave the same rating. But I'm a little bit right. le- leaning more towards this. I knew that you were going to do that. I was like, Jeremy's going to love this match. And he's going to slightly like another match in the evening a little bit more than this. But I give the edge to this match. I liked this match the best over. I love both matches. Don't get me wrong. But I loved Red Narita versus Shoto Umino. This was, in, in some ways, one of the strongest Shoto Amino performances of his whole, uh, you know, since he's returned from Excursion. Yeah, the, the crowd woke up for this match. There, there were mm-hmm. tons of Narita Umino chants throughout the match. And and you know what? Narita, a guy who we've seen some great performances from, but hasn't truly necessarily come into his own since having to take a, you know, like a step back, losing that tournament to Zack Sabre in January. He's kind of been playing like second or third fiddle to Desperado and, and um, 
Suzuki and really hasn't established himself as a singles competitor outside of the trios. Well, this man showed up and he like had a an axe to grind and so did Shoto Mino. And these guys, they fucking went to war. This match ruled. And um, the only thing I would like probably mark, like knock off of it was like, they seem to get a little bit, I don't know what the word would be, but like things just sort of seem to like fall apart a little bit towards the very, very end when they were going to the time limit, like they might have had a different finish in mind and it got, you know, jumbled and they mm-hmm. fumbled a little bit and then it didn't matter because the time ran out anyways. But aside from that, they had, a, they had a barn burner. This reminded me in many ways of like some of the classic early prototypical Tanahashi Nakamura matches from G1s in the past. Yeah, this yeah, these guys had great chemistry. Obviously, there's the whole uh, three musketeers thing that is kind of helping feeling into this rivalry, and these guys want to prove that they're better than each other. And yeah, throughout the match, a lot of great stuff. Um, they're at the six minute mark, uh, Narita locked in a nice uh, figure four leg lock on Anchota that was uh, looked pretty tight there. Got a good near submission there. Uh, Shota coming back with a European uppercut and a fisherman suplex at the eight minute mark. And he then applied the STF, which um, was shown to him by Chono was, at, you know, the dojo showing him how to uh, correctly apply that STF. So a little bit of storytelling there. Uh, Narita, man, has some beautiful suplexes all throughout this match. He's the best, he's the best bridge guy in wrestling right now. Yeah, like, his nose literally to the mat when he's hitting these bridges. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of great suplexes from him. Um, Umino came back with some suplexes, an exploder and a German. Uh, and then, you know, they came face-to-face, and they were just, like, slapping each other, hitting each other, exchanging all these strikes, and they're trying to put each other away, and they just couldn't get to it, and then time ran out. And, yeah, this was just incredible. Incredible. Loved this, and I loved the commentary team. Kevin Kelly, God bless him. Who knows? You know, we got that question last week, and obviously I was jesting a little bit, saying, like, I heard this is his last G1. I don't know if that's true at all. But uh, thank God we have him here for this year's G1, and hopefully many more in the future. But to see him and Chris Charlton tell the story of how this is this fundamental, generational first chapter of these guys in this iteration and yada, yada, so on and so forth, they did it a fantastic job really building the history and the drama and Ren Arena and Shoto Amino, two guys who like what? Okay. This is where I see them. All right. And this is the difference between everybody else from this generation from Suji. These guys, new Japan loves them. New Japan sees great things in them. It's very clear that that's the case. And yet at the same time, when they go out to wrestle, they usually feel like they have something to prove. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They've proven more already than Suji ever has. He's only really been back since like the, the Sonata match. But when he came back, he didn't wrestle like a guy who had something to prove. He wrestled like a guy who was like, the fuck y'all don't know I'm fucking him. <laughs> I'm the star. I'm the man. I'm the star already. <laughs> Suji doesn't wrestle like a guy who has something to prove. He wrestles like a guy that is already clued in on the fact that he's the man and no one else just doesn't know it yet. He 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 wrestles like a guy who knows that he already is the shit. Yeah. And they're behind him in a certain sense, even though technically 
they're ahead of him. They're a generation ahead of him. They're they're further than him. They've done more than him. But um, in this match, they were like, that motherfucker is not going to pass us. <laughs> we're going to go out there and have a great, great match. And they did. Like, this this ruled. Yeah, this was this was awesome. Love that we got the, you know, 20-minute time limit draw. Uh, you know, usually G draws in G1 are pretty rare, but yeah, with this shortened 20-minute time limit, we're probably going to see some more of those. And it worked well here for this story because both guys are now kind of even uh, playing ground here. Um, and we have a question here from Ethan from the Discord. It says, given Narita and Umino tied, is this a sign that they will also tie with Suji? You know, I'm, I'm not totally in agreement with you, Jeremy. I don't know that because just because we have the 20-minute time limit that we're going to see more um, time limit draws in this tournament. And and I'm not saying that couldn't happen. I just don't know that I'm bought into that idea yet. But as far as this question goes, um, I don't I don't see it as a sign that they're for sure going to draw with Suji. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a definite, a definite. I could see Suji beating both of these guys. And then the, both these guys. <laughs> and then again, that makes them even. They, they draw it and they both lost to Suji. Yeah. Th- this is where the show was good up till here, but this is where the show really started to pick up and it was awesome. Yeah. The show really cranked up here. Yeah. The crowd was, yeah. And I was so happy to see how into the crowd were into both of these guys. And it just felt like one of those kind of like epic G1 matches. And like you said, like this is going to be like the the foundation of the story between these guys and for the future of the company. And it's again, it's one of those things that is proving the naysayers of the block matches wrong. Yeah, people that were like, I, you know, that we cover. If you didn't listen last week, go back and listen to our preview last week. But yeah, there were many people that didn't love these uh, the layout of these A block, especially the A block specifically, and. This killed. This all. This was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so following that from the B block, we had Kazuchika Okada defeating the Great Okan, fifteen minutes and twenty three seconds. While the match was, it didn't deliver at the highest levels. This wasn't transcendent. It didn't, you know, make me think, oh, Great Okan, future IWGP World Champion, or anything like that. They had a lot of history to play off of with the fact that. You know, a couple years ago, um, Okada was in the block finals against uh, Will Ospreay. Ospreay turns on him. Great Okan returns from excursion, gives the claw to Okada, what have you. They enter into a little mini feud. So they're kind of still playing off of that. And the crowd was definitely, even if the match itself didn't deliver at the highest levels, um, I thought it was very enjoyable. Um, Maybe 15 minutes was a little bit long in the tooth. But um, I didn't think that Okan felt out of place at, with Okada. I thought the crowd was get, get, giving good reactions to both guys. And I thought the, um, the closing stretch was very reminiscent of some of the classic Okada. You go, I go, you go, I go, one, two, three, boom, Rainmaker out of nowhere. <laughs> and I win sort of uh, finishes the kinds that sort of made his career and that's what we saw here uh, very good i thought the crowd was really into both guys it was a good match yeah i thought okan's mat wrestling was so good in this match and he's just a opening, great grappler yeah he, he's one of the best grapplers in wrestling people don't know his uh you know accolades yeah i mean obviously 
great amateur wrestling background and all is always on display. And so, yeah, I thought his grappling and mat work and he just has some little detail stuff that's just so good that he's in there. He did a great um, claw suplex thing. I don't know what he calls it, but that was a great move. He had like the almost like a Cobra Clutch kind of thing on and he had a claw on him. And they turn it into a suplex. That was dope. So mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed this match a lot more than most people. But I thought Ocon looked really good. Um, but yeah, it was a great Okada formula. And hits the Rainmaker and gets the win. So then following. Yeah, the, o- okay. the only thing I would say about it is like last year when Ocon wrestled, say, Jay White in the B block. That was like a match where it was like, damn. He feels elevated after this match, even though he didn't win. Yeah. I didn't get that same kind of vibe here, even though he looked good in defeat. Yeah, it kind of felt like, all right, he's settled in as like that kind of mid-card spot, mm-hmm. and that's where he's going to be. You know what it reminded me of? Like, when Okada was champion, and like every month he had a new challenger, and they were all viable, but they're not beating Okada. That's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. I could totally see him being like the April, you know, challenger to Okada's world title when he's champion, but like you're not beating him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. So then following that from the A block, we had Kaito Kiyomiya from Parasang Noah defeating the Gene Blast Yota Suji, 14 minutes and 48 seconds. Suji comes out all the confidence in the world. And then after he comes out, gets his great reception, Kato Kiyomiya comes out, gets a fantastic applause from the crowd. They're super into him. He's got the drip. He's got the feathers. He's got the tassels. He's, you know, all blinged out. This man looks like he's, you know, mixed the entrance gear of like Sting and Great Mudo and a bunch of other people. And, you know, he's walking around the, the outside of the ring and wouldn't you know it, Kiyomiya. <laughs> Suji's like, not on my time, bitch. And Bow. gives him a fucking tope over the top rope. And just, and and like Kevin had an incredible, like incredible call. He's like, he's killed him. He's killed him. <laughs> yeah, it was just so quick and so sudden out of nowhere. And, you know, it's just crazy to see a guy Suji's size flying around like he's a junior. And yeah, he just blasted through those ropes and blasted Kiyomiya. <laughs> well, it's funny because the first time he wrestled Sonata, he did the uh, the space uh, flying UFO tiger drop, or whatever you call it, the Fosbury flop to the outside on Sonata to get things started. And now he's doing tope suicidas to his opponents. This is the anti-Jay White. <laughs> Jay White leaves the ring. <laughs> to slow matches down and to and to halt the progress of his opponents when they start. This man jumps over the top rope onto his opponent at the beginning of the matches. Suji's like, let's let's crank it up from the beginning. <laughs> let's run it. Did you ever see um uh this is spinal tap? No. Okay. Someday you should see that. It's like a really funny mockumentary, but the guy they're in a band and they're like fucking idiots. They're walking. This guy's showing, um, you know, it's like a behind the scenes sort of thing. And he's like, I've got this amp here. And he's like, this is a very special amp because the, the, the dials go to 11. And he's like, why don't you just get a, an amp that's just as loud, but only goes to 10. And he's like, these ones go to 11. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's like 
Suji's like, you know, why don't you start the match regular? I'm gonna jump out of the ring to start my matches. <laughs> like, why don't you grab a hold? No, I'm gonna flip. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, it was on from there. Um, and then these guys going back and forth. Um, Kiyomiya began targeting the the left knee of uh, Suji. Uh, to try and set up a submission later down the match. Uh, Suji came back in a big uh, stinger splash and Hurricane Rada at the seven-minute uh, mark. Uh, and then from there, yeah, Kaito continued to try and work on the knee. Saw the dragon screw, leg whips, applying a figure four. Um, he cuts a big uh, missile drop kick and a German suplex for a near fall, roaring uh, forearm. Uh, Suji comes back with a super kick, blue thunder bomb. Then Kaito hits a Hurricane Rana jumping knee. It's a great. Tiger suplex for a great near fall. Um, and then uh, Kaito got Yoto up in a power bomb, hits the shining wizard. One, two, three. Kiyomiya gets a win. Yeah, I didn't like that Kaito Kiyomiya won here. Noah and Trash. The reason, yeah, the reason why is just personal biasism. Okay, I am biased. <laughs> I, I love Yota Suji now. <laughs> I don't want to see him lose to anybody. You know, uh, I told Jeremy earlier this uh, earlier this month, like last month uh, before last week's episode, he's like, who do you think is wrestler of the month? And I was like, Suji. And he's like, why? I was like, that's just my answer every month now. <laughs> it's right. At um, first I thought you were serious. I was like, oh, did, did Suji have that? Did Suji do something that I didn't realize? <laughs> yeah, he, he fucking gene blasted is what he did. Okay. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, we have some questions here. Uh, first, from the show, Zach Porter. He says, how about that Gene Blast? And I, was, <laughs> I, yeah, I think he's saying that sarcastically because he's a big Kiyomiya fan. Uh, Zach, you know, uh, elite-level hater. He, I, he, I think Zach is probably referring to himself being the designer of the G for G1 stands for Gene Blast t-shirt. No, as it said on One Nation Radio, Zach Porter is a sick man with a nasty agenda. With that nasty agenda. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, we should bootleg those shirts and just sell them out of the back of our cars. I bet you would make money. <laughs> to all the uh, the big New Japan fan base here in uh, Tampa. But we don't cut in Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Call it out I know, I know Rich has like a, a, a machine at his house now where he can like print pre- up yeah, shit. Yeah, press iron gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question here from Mr. Hat and Clogs says, "Out of the three Musketeers, who do you think had the best showing in their opening matches?" Mulligan. <laughs> I don't know. They were all so good. Yeah, I think they all they all killed it. I, I wouldn't say one was better than the other. Um, MJSPR is Kiyomiya going to show out, or is he just upper mid? You know, that's something that we need to bring up here. So uh, this is something where Yota Suji, obviously he lost, but this is something he's been doing um, like all throughout last tour. Say what you will about Sonata, but like every time they were in the ring together, Yota Suji had this look and this vibe and this feeling like I'm the real fucking star. <laughs> Even after he lost the match and they were in those multi-man tags, He'd like stand up behind this dude and fucking smile and be like, yo, all right, come on. Look look at me. me look at me. Or I'm, him. Look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> I'm the ace. You know, he, you know what his push and his entrance reminds me of? 
He's like heavyweight um, Hiromu Takahashi. Mm. Hiromu came in in like 2015 or 2016, whatever it was. And it was like, he's the fucking man now. Except the difference is he doesn't have Hiromu's push. Hiromu got pushed to the top of, of his, uh, you know, division right out the gate and then had a six-month run of terror. Like, they're not giving that to Suji, but Suji has that same feeling that Hiromu had where it's like, I'm the man now, and y'all need to follow the line. <laughs> All right, Kushida? <laughs> and that's what he did. Like, even though Kiyomiya won here, he felt like a much bigger deal than Kiyomiya. And I know Ki- Kiyomiya, I've seen quite a few Kiyomiya matches. I like Kiyomiya. I think he, I think people are, are needlessly harsh on him um, and maybe don't see as much upside in him as like me. I, I think, and part of it's probably the problematic booking from uh, Noah management over the years. But uh, so I don't think he's upper mid, but. He didn't feel special the way Suji did on this night. I don't know. Yeah, I would say yeah, Suji definitely came off more of a star than him. Like it didn't feel like a, a top ace, like two top aces facing each other. Like it, it did feel like you know an upper up and coming upper mid card guy is facing a top star. <laughs> That's kind of like mm-hmm. the, the vibe we kind of got. But yeah, I, I think Kiyomiya is he he's obviously great, and also like you mentioned a lot of bad booking in pro wrestling. Noah has hurt him and. You know, uh, Muto being in the way of that too, and so I think there's a lot of rehab to be done with him. Uh, but overall, he's a great wrestler, and I think when we get to some um, better responding towns, he's probably gonna get a bigger reaction to probably come off more of a star. I remember in 2016, people having the exact same kind of conversations that we're having about Kiyomiya about Nakajima before he shifted his entire personality and persona. Yeah, just saying, I don't know, maybe something like that isn't in store for the guy. I don't know. Also, it didn't help that, you know, Charlton and Kevin Kelly were like low key kind of burying him on yeah. commentary too. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's all part of the story, but man, they, they were kind of like really like kind of digging at him. <laughs> uh, next question here from Hawaiian punch BV with Kiyomiya beating Suji for his first G one match. And Noah's president saying that he doesn't sell out venues. Do you think new Japan will try to court Kiyomiya? When the opportunity comes, I mean, a lot of people are sort of speculating that uh, I don't. I wouldn't put too much stock in the the idea that he won his first G one match. I mean, we'll get to it. But Eddie Kingston also won his first G one match. That's pretty typical. A lot of times for outsiders from New Japan to come in and win their first match in tournaments. We saw that with Mike Bailey this year. We've seen it with lots of other outsiders. But uh, that being said, I. Putting that aside, I definitely think that there's a possibility down the line that New Japan might be interested in the young chap. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen them poach talent before. It wouldn't be a surprise. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But you know, I, mean, I, I would definitely welcome uh, Kiyomiya on as a full-time New Japan wrestler. So moving on from that semi-main event of the evening, the, the hometown boy here, Taichi Defeats Will Ospreay 17 minutes and 43 seconds. Love this match. Love the pairings between Tai Chi and Will Ospreay. And I love that the KOPW champion reigns supreme over the funky red belt <laughs> US champion. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was a pretty big win here for Tai Chi. A win for the Crips. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Going to start gang warfare here in this podcast. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought this match was awesome. So this was you know, the second match that I – so I rated this match and the Narita Omina match four and a quarter stars. Um, like them both, the, the top two matches of the night. But, yeah. A lot of great um, selling here in this match. And this was a match where Will Ospreay was pretty much just walking the dog with Tai Chi. Um, you know, six minutes in, he rolls out, grabs the stopwatch. He's like, I've been beating this guy for like six and a half minutes. <laughs> and, you know, real cocky, real confident. And then it was just the, the right kick from Tai Chi to the air of Will Ospreay that threw his equilibrium off. The selling of... Uh, Will Ospreay, when it came to the story of this match, was so good that I saw uh, bitch-ass marks sitting around talking about, was this real, and how is this man going to be able to finish the fucking tournament? (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And that's good, I guess. The fact that there are people who are so bought in you, it, bro, you know what it reminds me of? What? Like my dad. <laughs> like my dad is like a lifetime, lifelong wrestling fan. And like he knows wrestling's not real, but the way he talks about it, it's hard to tell because he'll be like, Joshua, I swear to God, they're beating the shit out of this dude. They beat him for like <laughs> 10 minutes. He's probably going to be in the hospital all night. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not real. <laughs> Oh man, that's that's how people sounded when they were like, "Yeah, man, like Osprey got kicked in the ear, and like his equilibrium was off the rest of the match. This man could not catch his footing, and it was only because of that that Tai Chi was able to get the upper hand." Like, <laughs> I don't know if this man's gonna be able to finish the tournament. There's people on message boards and on Reddit's and in private groups and discords talking like this because. Will Osprey, the guy who a couple years ago everyone's like, he's too loud. He's a terror. He doesn't sell. Oh, he oversells. He's the worst. He's selling so good that people think that his tournament is compromised from an Aaron <laughs> from Tai Chi. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly, if that was a real situation, they would have thrown the X up. They would have stopped the match. They don't throw the X up in Jer- in, in Japan, Jeremy. <laughs> they would they would have done something. They would have, you know, it would have been They not- didn't do... Bro, fucking Yoshihashi bust his dome, it bust his <laughs> shit on the apron, and they didn't do nothing. They're that not going to do nothing. That was, a, that was an angle. <laughs> uh, but, uh... Yeah, the, yeah, Osprey selling was yeah absolutely incredible in this match. Yeah, having to fight the, the equilibrium balance throughout the match, and the great thing was like, even though the his balance was off, he was still in control of the match. Like he was still so far ahead of Tai Chi that even with his equilibrium off, he was still getting the upper hand and the better of Tai Chi. He beat the shit out of Tai Chi, like, for most of the match. And that's what makes the story so compelling. Like, he was so far ahead. And even though he was feigning injury and selling the ear and everything like that, he he was still hitting him with all of his big moves, trying to put Tai Chi away. And Tai Chi's still kicking out of all of his big shit. And he's like, the fuck I got to do to get rid of this guy? <laughs> 
Yeah, um, and you know, for Tai Chi, you know, his one only hope, you know, he kept trying to hit that dangerous backdrop driver, and he wasn't getting it, wasn't getting it, and then finally he gets the super dangerous mm-hmm. backdrop driver, kill this man, and from there, and, and the and the only reason is because you know normally Will Osprey would be so sure footed, but he he just couldn't catch his footing because. His equilibrium was off on the top rope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Created an opening for Tai Chi, you know? Yeah, hit that super dangerous, followed up with a, a regular dangerous backdrop driver. Crowd really into this. The hometown boys getting the, the comeback. Uh, Osprey's oh, trying yeah. to yeah, Osprey's trying to come back, hits the head, tries to go for the hidden blade. But as he charges in, Tai Chi super kicks this man mid-air and hits the Black Mephisto one, two, three. Gets the the big upset win in his hometown. If this was WWE, this this man Tai Chi would have been doing the honors, looking up at the lights in embarrassing fa- fashion. But I guess it's a good thing that this is not WWE, and people can win in their own hometowns from time to time. And uh, I didn't necessarily expect Tai Chi to win. I I forgot the fact he's from Hokkaido. I don't know, but like this crowd was. So into this match, so into him, and I'm glad to see him pick up the win here. Yeah. Great match. We had a question here from Ethan. Do you think we'll see Taichi challenge Osprey after the G1, or will he stick to being KOPW? I see it this way. Why challenge for the red belt when you've already proven that the blue belt is superior? Why? <laughs> yeah, he's elevated the status of his title. Yeah, from now on, it, sh- it it basically goes like this. IWGP, KOPW, strong title, strong women's title, <laughs> IWGP women's title, then the never title, then the red belt, <laughs> then the junior title, because that's got to be last. Then all, all the tag titles. <laughs> then all the tag titles. <laughs> um... <laughs> So let's move on to the main event here from the A block. We have the IWGP World Heavyweight what Champion. Would, what do you think would happen if if the women wrestled the juniors? Mm. In the, the kayfabe of New Japan, who who's superior there? Uh, I think depending on which junior it is, that some mm. some juniors would lose. Doki. <laughs> If it's Doki versus Julia, I mean, I don't know. That's... Doki versus Sasha Banks, go. Oh, well, Monet is winning. <laughs> Doki would be doing the J-O-B that night. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, main event here, world champion Tanada defeating Hikaleo 10 minutes and 16 seconds. The good. I thought this match was good. Um, I thought that it was very good. I thought this was a good match. Um, it reminded me in many ways, for better or for worse, of a lot of the like, uh, bad luck Fale G1 style matches where he's in there with like a, a Tanahashi or an Okada and he's kind of using his power and dominance to kind of brutalize them. That's sort of what Hikaleo was trying to do here, establish himself as a big brawling, bruising monster of the A block. And I thought he was pretty competent at that. I thought Sonata of the two, though, was the man that was working 
much harder and was really doing a lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the flying to the outside, a lot showing showcasing his athleticism. I was a bit surprised that the match only went 10 minutes and 16 seconds. Um, the negative match ended very abruptly. Um, and it didn't ever kick into the kind of gear that you sort of expect from a first night main event of the G1 Climax, especially when the world champion is involved in it. Um, I don't know if I can... I, I think the blame is probably both guys, maybe inexperienced from both guys. I don't know. Um, it didn't hit those lofty goals that you sort of expect from guys put in this position on this sort of evening. That being said, I saw a lot of hate for this match. I thought the hate was a bit overblown, but it's understandable considering the gravity of this match on this platform not meeting people's expectations. Yeah, I mean, overall, to you, I thought the match was good. I, I thought, you know, it was a good match, but to be positioned on opening night of the G1 in the main event, following that hot Osprey Tai Chi match and seeing mm-hmm. that great Umino Narita match earlier in the night, like, it just felt out of place. Like, this match felt like it should have been the opener. The, the, mm-hmm. the pace and how quick it was, had this been swapped, I think the flow of this card would have been so much better. And so I, I understand people's complaints. And for me, I'm like, man, like it kind of just kind of killed the vibe of the show a little bit. Cause you're, it was like, everything was building so nicely. It was like, Umeo Narita, Kiyomiya Suji, Osprey Taichi. And then you get Sonata and Hikaleo just kind of like, womp, womp. It's like, you, you you kind of expect for these guys, like you look at it on paper and you're like, okay, it's not in Hikaleo. I don't have that many high expectations for it, but it's the first night of the G1. He's world champion. It's the main event. They're probably going to pull out all the stops and maybe surprise us and give us something we weren't expecting, but they didn't give us anything we weren't expecting. And that's the problem. Yeah. And I understand why they did this. Also, Sonata. His first G1 as world champion. You want the world champion should be in main events. He should be the top star. You want to put him in main event positions. Obviously, you don't want to stick him up on the card and make him look like a you know a weak champion. But at the same time, you're throwing him in there with Hikaleo, who's obviously still uh, not an experienced wrestler. Has not been in a big stage, big main event like this. Um, and, you know, still really hasn't had like a, a track, kind of like Tangaloa, where there's not a track record of these four-star bangers. And he's kind of being forced in this position here where people are expecting, you know, a, a great match to close the night. And he doesn't have that experience yet. And then he's in there with a guy like Sonata. And I just think it, there's so many things here just didn't work out from their favor. And I think part of it was part of the booking. Well, you know, that that's another thing, too. Speaking of the booking, I mean, uh, it, on the first night of the G1, you sort of expect upsets. And, you know, it wouldn't have been too crazy to expect a mate, like a massive monster like Hikaleo to beat a guy like Sonata. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't go that way, I think it does speak to a few things. Number one, credibility. They probably don't think Sonata can take that sort of loss this early in the tournament to a guy of Hikaleo's, uh, you know, perceived stature within the hierarchy of the company. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. It's probably bad. Um, 
you know, I think about the fact that Hikaleo was the guy that ended Jay White's New Japan yeah. run. And then he wasn't included in the New Japan Cup, which seemed very strange. And at the time, we're like, it's probably because he can't. They they don't want him to lose coming off of, you know, coming right off of that major victory. But then now he here he is losing the Sonata. And you have to wonder yourself, if he wasn't ready to be plugged in as a massive force in the company and a guy that was winning championships and, and in the main events and in that sort of stature, maybe he shouldn't have been the guy that was beating Jay White to wipe him out of the company in the first place. Because look at uh, look at Eddie uh, Kingston. What, what's wrong? Eddie Kingston. Okay, uh, say what you will about the guy, but after beating Jay White, he doesn't feel like a guy that doesn't that can't carry the weight of what he did into you know into the pathos and the mythos of new japan he can do it hikaleo doesn't feel like that right now so that's kind of a problem as well yeah i mean at this point i'm starting to think it was maybe not the right call to have hikaleo be the one to beat jay white maybe they should have given it to some somebody else maybe one of these other younger guys that they're actually pushing and giving more to because it just yeah just just feels like just a guy right now he doesn't feel like this hot young star that just that knocked out you know the former world champ from the company and should be a world beater and again positioning is this in the main event it i would i would have expected more of an upset win like you're saying like there's a reason why they position certain things and like a match like this would have screamed upset to me um mm-hmm. but if it was up early in the card but like, oh it's not probably going to win but because it was the main event and it's hikaleo i'm like oh maybe this is how they're going to kickstart hikaleo's story and kind of really get him going here but that wasn't the case. And again, I think that speaks to the idea that Sonata is not bulletproof. He can't necessarily take a loss like that and be okay. So, you know, I, I think it's a 50-50 thing where some of the, the blame is on both individuals in this case. Um, you know, another thing, too, is like we we bring it up time and time again. Can Sonata elevate others and carry them to a higher uh, level and I, I think he worked really hard in the match, but I didn't feel necessarily like he elevated Hikaleo in defeat. Although Hikaleo was strong in the layout of the match, it just didn't translate to how you feel about him afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, now, maybe that won't be the case for the remainder of the tournament. There's obviously a lot of other young talent for Sonata to work with, but with him being champion, this kind of needs to be one of those defining you know last week someone asked us who did we feel like had the most pressure on them uh and i think i said david finley and you guys i don't remember who you guys said but like maybe it's sonata Mm. you know maybe that's the right answer because he's a guy that's got to work with all this young talent and is it is it going to be a case of him elevating them or is it going to be a case of them carrying him up to their level it's hard to tell (laughs) yeah you know uh what it's going to be like the rest of the tournament but um uh, regardless, putting you know all the complaints aside, I did think he had a good showing himself in the match. But you know, you hear those words that Naito said about him in the press this past week, talking about how he's not a superstar. The jab. I don't know. A <laughs> uh, couple questions here. First from Dome B04. When was the last time the world champion entered the G1 with the belt but lost it before Wrestle Kingdom? If this never happened. And only someone who can draw a lot of fans for a match for Sonata Wrestle Kingdom can win the G1, I guess. 
the last time, and I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it was AJ Styles. Yeah, it's the last time I remember, too. He lost it to uh, Tanahashi. Um, so Tanahashi could turn around and drop it to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 10, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think that was the last time. So um, that would be a, the last time, yeah. Then Hawaiian Punch VV says, it's not a wrong when he says that none of the young guys have sex appeal. Especially since one of them has a nickname of Gene Blast. Yeah, he's wrong because if you've seen that Sports <laughs> Illustrated picture of uh, of Yotsuji, he's letting them know. <laughs> Remember when I, uh, you know, in the early days of this show, I used to say Juice fucks, Gene Blast fucks, bro. <laughs> Gene Blast has them chirping. <laughs> yeah, bro, he has them chirping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, man. So, uh, standings in the A block. Sonata, Kiyomiya, Chase Owens, all with two points. Umino and Rita with one point via the draw. Then Hikaleo, Suchi, Gabe Kid, zero points. Then the B block, Taichi, Okada, Tangaloa, Yoshihashi, all with two points. And then Will Ospreay, Great Okan, Kenta, and El Phantasmo with zero points. And then we'll move on now here to night two. So night two was also in the Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. Uh, this night we had an attendance of 2,888. So uh, a little bit of lower attendance from night one. And uh, very similar, we could see a, a lot of empty seats uh, throughout the, the building and Again, not probably the, the attendance they, they wanted here, but I think if you compare it to what they've been doing over COVID, uh, it was probably an, an improvement there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So, first match of the night was from the C block. We had the Rebel, the never openweight champion, David Finley, defeating the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. Um, they did like 3,100 the night before, 28 and change the second night. You think that's, uh, you know, what do you think that tells us? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man, because I would say there's a, there's a lot of. Top stars, obviously, the D block is a lot of the, the veteran guys, your Naito's, your Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr. So there were a lot of drawing guys here uh, for this night, so I'm not quite sure. I mean, it was a, a Sunday. I know that the timing like was a little bit different because it was a, a 1 a.m. start time. I did not wake up to watch this one um, live. Um, so I don't know if it was, it was the timing or it being a Sunday, what, what the deal was. You're not staying up and watching the rest of the tournament live? No, probably not. Bro, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, bro? <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, first matchup, Finley defeating Ishii. I thought this was one of the best matches of the evening. Really, really enjoyed this. Um, I don't remember the last time Finley and Ishii wrestled. I know they've wrestled this year. Was it, like, New Japan Cup or something? I think so, yeah. I don't recall, but I know they had a match that I liked. But whatever that was, I like this one better. Um, 
they just very, very physical. Um, you know, uh, David Finley, he turns up for the G1. Uh, it, that seems to be a recurrent theme, and he really turned up here. It's not too hard to go the extra mile when you got Tomohiro Ishii in there with you, but like he seemed to, his selling was fantastic. His physicality was great. Um, he is a guy that last week I said had a lot to prove, and um, he's taking the right steps to do it. Now, granted, he's in there with all time MVP <laughs> of the G1, Tomohiro Ishii. So, you know sometimes guys look like world beaters when they're in there with Tomohiro Ishii. You just never know. But uh, in a vacuum, the match was fantastic. And I was hoping my dog, Big Tom, would pick up the win. But uh, <laughs> it was not so. David Finley picked up the win clean but for the most part and uh, kind of brutalized Ishii and uh, picked up the win 15 minutes, 55 seconds. Yeah, and I love that uh, commentary kind of brought up the story element of the fact that Jay White would always struggle with Ishii um, in, in one-on-one matchups in the G1. But now Finley's have beaten him twice since become the Bullet Club leader. So they're trying to kind of tell a story that Finley is, you know, elevated and it's kind of on the level or better than Jay White because he's able to, to beat Ishii and beat him clean. And he's done it twice uh, this year so far. But, yeah, I love the match. I've seen a lot of people that were a little bit lower on this match than I was, but I thought it was a great matchup. Great way to kick the show off. Uh, Finley was doing a lot of really cool moves. That Dominator face plant that he did uh, 10 minutes in for a great near fall. And he was just so vicious throughout. Blue Thunder Bomb. Using a lot of really cool uh, big moves on Ishii until he finally hit the into oblivion uh, on the knee and get, getting the win. What would you go? Like four stars? Yeah, I went four stars flat. That's what I would have gone. People don't like this? Anything is four? I've seen a lot of people like three and a half. Uh, Man, fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was great. Uh, next matchup from the D block, we had Hiroki Goto defeating Toriano, uh, six minutes and 44 seconds. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it should, I know it was shitty. I know it sucked. Uh, and it, it, you know, Goto and Yano, longtime tag team partners. They know each other so well. They played off of the shenanigans from the past couple of years, G1 matches with one another. You you know, basically doing callbacks to the previous uh you know, Yano rolling up Goto and then the way Goto, you know, countered that last year and uh pinned Yano and everything like that. And then the match kind of kept going and uh at, Yano had some sort of mascot out there. I don't know who that mascot yeah. was. Tomo, Tomokun. I don't know what Tomokun <laughs> is, where he's from, what he represents, what he's about, what ideologies or philosophies or political affiliations he holds. You know, I don't know that about him. <laughs> what I do know is he got involved in this match and at one point he went under the ring and Yano went under the ring and Gota went under the ring and then Yano and then they were banging on the boards. So someone was getting fucked up. Something bad was happening down there. I don't know what, but someone was getting their shit rocked. Next thing I know, at the count of five, Yano comes up, he gets in the ring. At like the count of 11, Goto comes out, but he's got the mascot's head on his head and he's, you know, wandering around and stumbling and. He, he gets in the ring at 19 and a half. He almost lost this match. Um, but ultimately, he, he hits a bunch of headbutts. 
and GTR, GTR and gets uh, Yano out of there. So he was able to, you know, prevail over the master thief. There was another funny spot where they're on the outside. They kept trying to Irish whip each other, but at the same yeah. time, so they're both they're both they're both getting like the upper hand back and forth, back and forth. But nobody's going into anything, and they just keep going and going and going. And then they get so dizzy, they just like lose their shit, and the crowd like po- politely like claps for it. And I'm like, how they get a pop off that? Nobody did anything. Yeah, that was this funny. match was really ridiculous. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a goofy, but it, it's what you expect of Toriano. Uh, I did love Kevin's call when yeah Goto comes back out with the head on. He's like, "Wait, Goto's Tomokun." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know it's fine it, if you don't like Yano, don't watch it. I don't expect you to. Um, and and it, it, it's pretty much skippable. But like for second match of the night, I I enjoyed it for what it was. It was you know a night off match is funny. Yeah. Uh, question from Ethan: Who do you see being Yano's shock win this year? Tanahashi. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind what of... block are they in? Are they in the C block? Uh, Yano is in the D block. They're with, in the D block. Yeah, so he's in the same block with Tanahashi and Saber, Cobb, Haste, Naito, Coughlin. Yano's going to be Cobb. Uh, I, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, and Naito. Uh, maybe. And Saber. And Tanahashi. <laughs> Yano winning the block? <laughs> Yano. Going to quarter, Going through. <laughs> going to quarterfinals? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, let's go to the next match. Uh, from the C block, we had Mad Mikey Nichols defeating Hanare, twelve minutes and twenty one seconds. So Hanare, new music, new look, becomes the first pro athlete in any sports history to bear the deeply cultural, significant Matatora markings, um, which is part of the Polyne- Polynesian tradition. Um, and so tattoos on, on the face, on the bottom half of his face. That's why his uh, face was covered up during the press conference. So got the big reveal here of these tattoos, this new music, shaved the head, crowd gasped when they when they saw the look. Um, I thought, thought it's a pretty cool look, and that must have been uh, pretty painful to get. Yeah, I also think that Hanare is entering this tournament in the middle of the bulk cycle because he's looking monstrous right now. He's not nearly as lean and cut up as we're used to seeing the guy. Like, he's looking uh, beefy right now. Not in a <laughs> negative way, just like he's bulking, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, he's, but, uh, he saw he was in the C block, he, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he knew he was in there with bruisers. But, uh, yeah, pretty shocking to see him in there with that uh, tattoo on his face. But, you know... Um, Pretty cool at the same time. I didn't necessarily expect him to job on the night that he revealed. Bro, yeah, I was so disappointed with that. I'm like, <laughs> dude, new music, this new look, the crowd's gasping, they're into it. He's going to be you know, more aggressive in the G1, and then he gets dropped on his head and loses. <laughs> Especially to Mikey Nichols, which, is, no disrespecting Mikey, Mikey's great, but he's not necessarily like one of the upper echelon stars of the company. This is definitely a winnable match for Hinari. And he comes out here, unveils all the new shit, and they're like, you're losing the night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he did this whole new look, thought he was going to get a push. Like, like there's a job to do and you're doing it. <laughs> Mikey's going up, pal. <laughs> um, you know, the match was uh it was a mixed bag because like 
I don't want to say it was bad or anything. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't necessarily spectacular for a lot of it, although it was hard hitting. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit slow paced. Then down the stretch, they started really ramping things up and they went into the shoot headbutt spots, which like guys, I got to tell you, like it was exciting, but I don't love that shit, especially I've never there's a lot of violent stuff in wrestling that I can co-sign, but like the even before Shibata, I've never liked shoot headbutts in professional wrestling. Like maybe if they're soft, like, you know, like world of sport style, you know, but even those are so dangerous. Uh, I didn't love it when Nigel and, and Brian were doing it in ROH and I've never loved it in Pro. And these guys uh, did two shoot headbutts and fucking Mikey Nichols whole busted sh- open. Yeah. Yeah. His shit got split and he's bleeding everywhere. And I honestly, this is just my opinion. Um, I think that he botched the finish because of the blood loss and everything. Because I, I can't remember the last time I seen this guy, you know, taking hard way blood off the dome like that. And uh, it was pretty horrendous. And um, he did a great job selling the blood loss, but it was like it was one of those things where it's like I was I was stone cold Steve Austin. I was like, is he working or is he shooting? I couldn't tell. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I thought, yeah, whether he was working or not, it was, the selling was great, and yeah, I thought it got really hard-hitting, and the blood did add some drama, but yeah. They, yeah, the match got better after that. Yeah, uh, and then he goes for the, the Master Blaster, uh, which I believe is supposed to be more of like an air raid crash type maneuver, but... Bro, uh, I don't even know what the fucking air raid crash is. That's uh, Black Mephisto. I don't... Tai Chi's move. Yeah, but how could that... From that setup, how could that be what he was going for? Well, because he got kind of like turned him down uh, like that, but then he just like I just figured he was going to put him on his back, but he he dropped the dude on his head. Yeah, he it was nasty. He dropped him right on his head, um, pinned him afterwards. Uh, young lines, everybody's running in, checking in on Hanare. Uh, haven't seen a, an update yet, but I think uh, I think Hanare tweeting, so I think you think he's okay. But yeah, that was a pretty uh, nasty landing there. Yeah, he's quote-unquote okay, the same way that Kenny Omega was quote-unquote okay. These guys are all just, they all got dropped on their heads, and they're just quote-unquote, they're fine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, next match up from the D block, we had hysterical Shane Hayes defeating Alex Coughlin, 10 minutes and 55 seconds. Good match, but the, as soon as the match started, I just started saying to myself, Shouldn't have talked all that shit at that press conference. You're definitely <laughs> losing here. <laughs> and for Alex Coughlin, again, he's in a pretty tough block. He's in the D block with all of those veteran stars. And Shane Haste is one of the few on paper very winnable matches for him. And he lost. And I'm like, is he going to be jobbing all throughout the D block, especially after the shit he said, you know, and then if you're being conspiratorial, the idea that he was a quote unquote afterthought, somebody that, uh, you know, was only invited in after Aussie open pretty much left the company. Does that mean he's going to be, you know, doing the chase Owens bit and doing all the jobs. And it feels like that might be his role here. Um, losing to Shane haste. Yeah. Nonetheless, Alex Coughlin was very impressive in the match itself. 
Yeah, he's been on Twitter kind of saying, you know, it's not, it's not about the wins and losses. It's about uh, bringing bodies um, and, you know, sharing clips with him, yeah, throwing haste around. So, yeah, super impressive, um, just strength moves, you know, the delayed um, gut wrench uh, from the top rope. A lot of really cool power spots. I guess with this loss, they could set up uh, TMDK to challenge Coughlin and Kid for the strong openweight tag team titles. Um, but again, I agree with you. I feel like this was a, a winnable match for Coughlin, especially, you know, these the War Dogs, are, they're getting a push. You know, these guys are looking like world beaters the last couple of tours. You know, they ended off the, the Independence Day. Um, they won the strong titles and they ended with a, a great match against Goto and Yoshihashi the second night. And so these guys, I feel like we're coming in with a lot of momentum from the last couple of tours and joining the War Dogs. And now they're kind of you know, just, they're doing jobs and, you know, they're being dominant and, Destroying their opponents, but then uh, in their end, they're they're getting uh, defeated here. Yeah, um, good match nonetheless. Obviously, I also thought Shane Hayes was very impressive. Big fan of his. Uh, I thought these guys matched up well. I was just a little bit for both of them. I'm kind of wondering how both of them are going to do in that D block with all of those veterans. And I'm wondering if there are some big name victories in the future for a Shane Haste or an Alex Coughlin, when you've got a Naito, a Tanahashi, a Sabre or a Cobb on the other end, or even Goto, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be tough goings for both guys, I think. Yeah. And the finish here also kind of made Coughlin look dumb. Um, you know, he was in firmly in control of the match. He goes out and starts throwing chairs in the ring. Um, the rest trying to get some of the chairs out. Uh, Hayes hits a backdrop onto one of the folded chairs Hits the slam, gets the win, and uh, you know Charlton saying said you know Coughlin threw the match away. Yeah, it's very much similar to the layout uh, that we saw on night one with Gabe Kidd. Both times these War Dog members are firmly in control and dominating, and then it's sort of like their inexperience or their uh, youthful exuberance becomes their folly and the reason why they lose. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the next match from the C block, we had the strong openweight champion, Eddie Kingston, defeating the dragon Shingo Takagi, 12 minutes and 20 seconds. I think for most people, this is probably match of the night. Uh, You know, Jeremy, uh, this might be a little shocking. I I wasn't as high on this as everybody else, although I I did like the match a lot. Um. I think that there's a disconnect for me between like people. I think that there's something where a lot of fans are just really bought into the Eddie Kingston storyline. And then they're so into the idea of Shingo and Eddie Kingston and sort of the aura around that. And just, you know, because that can really elevate a match for people. It's like their uh, personal uh, investment into the characters and everything. I thought the work was very good, but I didn't think it was like this top, top level that I'm seeing. I'm seeing like four and a half, five stars. Yeah, stuff like I wasn't that, that I high. I want four stars flat on it. Bro, me, me too. I'm like, I thought this was a really good four star opener match that was like very solid. Very, I mean, borderline great, borderline great though. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing people talk about like match the year contender and stuff like that. I'm like, I didn't see that. No, it, it was a great match for, for, you know, 
just shy of 13 minutes. These guys went out here, um, kind of combined the, the King's Road and a strong style and, you know, big big exchange chops and strikes and, and lariats and uh, kind of showing the, the fighting spirit here. And uh, towards the end, Eddie um, was able to hit the, the Northern Lights bomb, the same move he used to win a strong openweight title to uh, beat Shingo. But, yeah, I thought these guys, you know, it was worked very fast-paced, very hard-hitting. Um Eddie Kingston looked really good. Had a lot of good suplexes throughout the match. A lot of great strikes. Um, and then, of course, Shingo, he's a man. Always looks great. And so, yeah, overall, really great matchup here. But I would not say it's uh, a match of the year contender. And I, I doubt that it was. it's going to end up in my top 10 by the time we get to the end of the tournament. I don't think so either. Because uh, for better or for worse, one thing with this tournament is it is starting to feel in many ways like a classic G1. We We do have those kinds of matchups on the docket and the energy is there and the motivation. So it is feeling more comparable to a traditional G1. And this match was very much in line with what I expect night in and night out from a G1 uh, climax. The match was great. Um, I, I loved the interactions between the guys, the physicality, the intensity, and the crowd was really into Eddie Kingston, which I wasn't sure how a Japanese crowd was going to take to him for a first time. Um, all the same, that being said, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't totally sure if Eddie would win first because I, I was thinking like maybe Shingo could be a good potential challenger for the strong openweight title. He did lose here, but Eddie Kingston is already, you know, talking about wanting to wrestle him in AEW at either all in or all out in Wembley, yeah. which we, we do know he's going to be in England the night before he's wrestling Will Ospreay. So uh, even in loss that there might be a potential to see them run it back. Yeah, that'd be great. I uh, would have some questions here. Uh, first from Rambo and slam pig. It says it is early and the long haul, of the tournament with all of its wear and tear has to be a concern but I was really happy with Eddie Kingston's match with Shingo. If they do have a rematch, as Kingston has requested, what setting would you most like to see it in? Um, I think one of those uh, pay-per-view settings would be very cool uh, for Shingo. I think that, you know, having, I think for these guys, an opportunity to go work pay-per-view stateside or these bigger shows is nothing but a net positive for them and for the company as well. Plus uh, the fact that like Eddie has the title, whoever beats him for the title should probably be somebody that can, uh, you know, do good business for the strong brand in the U S. So something like that would be cool. Yeah, definitely. We down for Wembley since I'll be there. I would love to see Eddie and Chingo live. So uh, I'm all down for that. Uh, Next question here from our buddy, Joe Saba from Australia says, how far does Eddie Kingston go, and are you guys on the Kingston train? Because I freaking am. Well, we're both Kingston fans, and I think we've both mentioned in the past we'd like to see him in this tournament. So, um, yeah, we're, we're happy. But as far as, like, how far we see him go, it's it pretty much lines up with the preview. I think we're – I think all three of us, including Chris Amsa, pretty much agreed last week that uh, – Eddie has a date on the final night with David Finley, and that's going to be the definitive match as to whether or not he progresses into the uh, quarterfinal rounds. And he's probably going to lose that match. And 
get eliminated, but be one of the top point getters in this block regardless. Yeah, I think he's going to have a, a winning record, but just due to the other people having more points, I don't think yeah he's going to get through to the quarterfinals. So moving on to the next matchup here, we had the NJPW World TV champion Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Tanahashi came out here for a new look, uh, had some new gear, some uh, Shawn Michael-esque uh, kind of arm uh, sleeve gimmicks and a red and black kind of pattern that uh, I think HBK would wear back in the day. You know what Tanahashi's like? He's kind of like, uh, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but like, he's like Jeff Hardy. He's never going to not be over. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, Ace comes out, and uh, it was just so funny. He did the the big reveal. He's got the new gear on, and he, he rips open the jacket to reveal the abs. And the abs are there, but they're not abbing like they used to ab. Mm-hmm. And... The crowd did not react, but like he's still doing his thing. He's there. He's 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 gonna win this shit in a snap. Um, <laughs> I heard a review before I saw this match. I was listening to Wrestling Observer Radio, and Dave pretty much was like, "This match was just blow away. Really fantastic." And you know, from the people that told me, these guys always have fantastic matches. Just another one for the records. And if 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 Tanahashi can continue to work this style he could probably go a lot longer and then i watched the match and i'm like what the fuck are they talking about like <laughs> and i saw the scores in cage match there are people that are just way more into this than me and like i like a good grapple fuck match but uh i don't know man this just was like a much slow to me is like a much slower sadder more boring version of the matches we saw between these guys in 2019 and those got long in the tooth for me back then yeah, and I think their previous matches were more in that four and a half uh, kind of match mm-hmm. of the year contender kind of range. I don't think this was quite that level, but I still thought it was a pretty uh, great matchup. And I think also Tanahashi is a very good grappler, and I did think he did a great job. It was kind of a great story of him trying to be the one to submit Saber, and he was trying to out grapple Saber, which I think ended up being his uh, downfall. Yeah, no, he's still so smart. You know what? That's another thing, too. Have you ever played, uh, like, what's a, um, this is so specific. You ever played, like, Fight Night Round 2 or, like, Round four's career mode? Mm. All right, this is, like, what Tamahashi's like. You play the game, you know, you build your character up, and then you get, and, like, Rich is listening, so he's probably popping for this because I know he likes these games, too. But, like, you build your character up, you, you, you get your stats to a max, right? Mm-hmm. And then you become champion. And then the next step is like continuously defend. But you're once you start getting to a certain age threshold in those games, your stats start to decline and then <laughs> your physical body starts to decline. And like it's really weird because you like at a certain point, you, if you keep playing, you'll just keep declining. It doesn't matter how hard you train, what you do. But like you as the player, your physical skills as the person controlling nothing's changed you're just as good as you ever were but the guy you're controlling just can't do the shit that you used to be able to do and and you struggle to like win matches and then your record starts getting spotty and stuff that's what tanahashi feels like to me is like he's so smart he's so intelligent and he knows how to structure a match and and milk it for all of its drama and work in such an intelligent way all of that is still there so i'm not saying the match wasn't good it was very good 
but I'm just having trouble. Like, but like I thought they had a bit too much time. I don't know if they need to go 16 minutes. I, I was a little bored by the grappling itself because it's not super dynamic or anything like that. It, yeah. The story is good. And then, and then after all that, he still got rolled up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't out techers, uh, you know, Zack Saber Jr. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And then that's the thing. It's like, okay, does he need to, for his longevity, does he need to transition to a more map-based style? And if that's the case, I, I, I think he should. But people are wanting him to high-fly flow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the outside. <laughs> Wherever, however, whenever. But, like, you know, I don't know if he can keep doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he's living out, you know, my dad is a heel wrestler, the movie that he starred in, of that the wrestler who didn't want to retire. It's the, the story's becoming real life for him. Um, yeah. And he's getting rough, you know. It always used to be a kind of a gimmick of him being injured every year and taking a little vacation, but, you know, the, the injuries are really piling up. Those those knees are, are rough. I, I will say I do think he was moving a little bit better in this, this match than he was at some of the AEW matches. I agree. Uh, but yeah, it's still it's still hard for him, and you know he's the ace. He wants to go out there and perform and be top level and do those high fly flows to, to the floor and in the ring. And it's gonna come a point where he's gonna hit the high fly flow, and it, it's gonna be sad. He's not gonna get up. Here's one of the here's one of the dirty little secrets about all this. Yeah, this is a constant talking point. We keep bringing up how rough Tanahashi looks. Make no mistake about it, he does. But is he kind of like a low-key New Japan Wrestler of the Year candidate all the same? (laughs) (laughs) Bro, because like last month, yeah, we gave Wrestler of the Month to Okada. But aside from Okada, most of the great matches that occurred last month all had Tanahashi in them. And then you kind of start looking at his resume and like he does still have some very great matches on his resume. The Never Six Man tag matches have been great. The never six men tag matches have been great. The one with Bailey that he had an impact was great. Like he still might kind of be on the precipice of like, we're going to get to the end of the year. We're going to be complaining about how like, he's not what he was. And then we're going to have to like still make, make him a nominee for wrestler (laughs) (laughs) because it's going to be ridiculous. Cause we're going to look at his resume and be like, I mean, he had like 12 or 15 four-star matches. We can't, well, he, had, he had a better resume than Sonata. We have to put him on there. Yeah, we can't. If we're putting Sonata on, we got to put Tanahashi on. <laughs> uh, Tanahashi is going to be the reason why we have like 11 nominees instead of just an even number. <laughs> oh, man. This year we have seven nominees. <laughs> uh so, yeah, good match. Zach gets the win here, so Ace is going to have to uh, bounce back. One yep. last thing. So I was talking with Rich this this uh, earlier today, and he wanted me to mention this on the show. He thinks, new prediction, Tanahashi's not winning any matches this tournament. Yeah, I saw him tweet tweet that out. That's, that's a, a spicy take right there. Because he was like, what else is there for for him to do? He was like, he went sub 500 in 2019. And then I was like, did he? I think he might have. Yeah. I forgot about that. Because they've like, he, they've elevated him since then. But back then it seemed like they were starting to tell like a decline story. Mm -hmm. And maybe we forgot about it. But 
he was like, there's no point in them just telling a slow, gradual decline story. They should just go full bore and like have him lose everything. And then it's solidified. Like he's not on the level. And then maybe next year it's like the last G one or like his redemption or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. Definitely a, a new and interesting way to yeah book Tanahashi and see how that would happen. I mean, it's definitely plausible, but. I don't know if his Tanahashi's star power. I don't. I don't know if they will beat him that much, though. Yeah, he said that to me. I was like, I don't know about that one player. <laughs> <laughs> but he started to sell me a little bit, you know. Uh, so moving on, semi main event from the C block: Evil defeating Tamatonga, seventeen minutes and thirty four seconds. Worst match of the tournament so far. Yeah. 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 Terrible. Terrible. Yeah, awful. And again, this is just awful. The card placement here. Like, why did this match have to be the semi main event? And I get it. I'm, I'm sure Evil and Tam are going are gonna to play into the C block and be probably two of the top point getters. So this positioning was probably important because of that. But come on. Like, this should have been early on the show. It should have been like 10 minutes. Yeah, why did they? Why did they have to be the longest match of the night? They got seventeen plus minutes. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, I don't know what Gato was thinking on this one, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was all the the House of Torture, Evil shenanigans. Dick Togo is out there, and it's just yeah, it was rough, bro. There was three run-ins from Dick Togo in this match. Yeah, plus Jado, plus ref bumps, plus low blows. Plus all sorts of shit. Like it was just too much, man. Like and and I get it, you know, I get it. He's a bad guy. He's supposed to do stuff we don't like. He's supposed to get heat, but like, I just don't want to watch it, man. This is what I hate from Evil. Yeah, this is what I hate from C Block. Ugh. So, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that the match is out of the way, though. Yeah, but I mean, we're getting a whole tournament on guessing of evil like this, and then having all these shenanigans against great guys in this block, and it's going to be really annoying to watch. Too much time. This match sucked. Yeah, like if you're gonna do the stick, like do what you did with Yano, make five it, minutes. Yeah, five, six, ten minutes max. Do it early on the card, but like this would have this show would have flowed, I think, so much better if you would have went straight from Saber and Tanahashi to. Cobb and Naito. Yeah, and then they're kicking out of big moves and like why? <laughs> it's not bro, it's a bad sign when people are kicking out of like big moves and I'm not complaining about it because you know, the guy like you know, normally you're like, "Oh, I wanted him to lose. I can't believe it. I was like, I want this to end. I want this <laughs> match to be over. Why are y'all still going?" Yeah. Nah. I didn't care who won or lost. You know, th- there should be a part of me that's like, Tamatonga is a hot white meat baby face. He needs to prevail. And I was like, I hope he loses. Let's just go. <laughs> just go home. <laughs> I don't want to see this anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I hated it. Evil gets to win after low blow. Everything is evil. Gets to win here. Picks up the two points. So that us to the main event of the evening from the D block. We had the Imperial Unit, Jeff Cobb, defeating Tetsuya Naito, 14 minutes and 20 seconds. Seen some good scores for this. I don't know if I'm one of those good scores, but the match was fine. Uh, the, the story here, very simple. This was 
pretty much a miniature version of like Brock Lesnar versus John Cena from SummerSlam where <laughs> Cobb just dominated Naito. Naito was underneath the whole time, kept trying to come back. He never really was able to totally come back and he just got beat by a dominant Jeff Cobb who has a very rich and dominant history in the G1 as it stands anyways. Um, and the Tetsuya Naito rehab coming from behind story is in full effect as we predicted last week. Yeah. I, I thought Cobb looked uh, really good in this matchup, man. He had um, all the confidence, you know, he was mocking Naito throughout the match doing the, the whole like tranquilo fake dive pose. And he did the combination on the Cabron. So he was just you know, very cocky. And, and at that point, Oh, he's going to lose. Cause we've seen in the past where Cobb gets cocky. That's usually his uh, undoing, but he was able to, you know, move forward here, kind of rush through Naito. A lot of great suplexes, obviously, like a spin cycle and a lot of great power moves from him. He had the big uh, stalling suplex where he was, like, waving when he was doing it, doing no hands, so just kind of showing off that great power. And like you mentioned, Naito had some hope spots here, uh, you know, with the DDT, the the, the combination of Bro and the Integuris, and he hits the, uh, the running uh, Destino, and, you know, he thought that he had the thing in the bag, but... Uh, Cobb was able to uh, come back, reverse, and hit a, a tour of the islands. Gets a big win. Cobb's first victory over Naito. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. So that's that's great for Cobb. They've had quite a few matches. I'm surprised he hasn't beaten him, you know, up to this point. But he beat him here, and it was definitive. <laughs> yeah. Very definitive. Then um. Uh, Post-match, he gets to do the closing show promo. He has Naito's hat on, and he does the United Empire <laughs> roll call. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, like nosotros, United Empire, yeah. <laughs> I thought that yeah, was, was pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> so that ends up night two. So uh, as we stand in the C block, we've got Ishii, Evil, Eddie Kingston, Mikey Nichols tied with two points each. Tamatonga, Shingo, Aaron Hanari, David Finley sitting at zero. And then in the D block, similar situation. Goto, Zack Sabre Jr., Cobb, and Haste have two points, while Tanahashi, Naito, Yano, and Coglin have zero. All right, we have some uh, other questions here about the G1. First from Dragon Master Adam on Twitter. Who's most impressed you so far? Personally, Shoto's performance against Narita was by far the best I've seen from him. Individually rather than an overall match, if that makes sense. Oh, well. I'd probably agree with that. Um, I don't know if I have a standout yet. It's just been the first night, and there hasn't been any one person that peaked super high for me just yet. Yeah, I think uh, Umino and Narita, like, obviously both those guys are great, but I was for me, I was just more happy on, on the way the crowd reacted to the match. And the mm-hmm. fact, fact that they killed it. So, yeah, I thought, yeah, especially like we mentioned earlier, this is probably Umino's best, one of his best performances. So, yeah. Uh, next question from Rambo and Slam Pig. How do you feel about the performance of all the tournament newcomers? Generally speaking, I've been pretty impressed. Yeah, I think uh, there, there's been, there's not been a single newcomer where even if there are some um, criticisms, like in the case of like Hikaleo, for instance, but there's nobody where I'm like, they're the drizzling shits. They shouldn't be here. This is awful. Nothing like that. Like there, I've seen upside and positive positivity from each and every single individual newcomer so far. Yeah. I thought all, all the newcomers have been great. You know, a lot of them in that a block 
um, Narita, Umino, Suji, Gabe Kid. All those guys look great. Coggin look great. So, yeah, I think all the newcomers are, are really doing good so far. Uh, Death Triangle 720, how do you think Gabe and Coggin will be booked after their losses in the G1? That's interesting, and I'm wondering if we're going to see a continuing trend of losses in a similar manner throughout the tournament or how high their stars are going to rise throughout. Yeah, I think that we might see this kind of pattern of them being dominant, but then trying to take it too far, and that causes them to lose. So that's going to stink, but I guess that's kind of the role that they want them to play here. Uh, next question here from Grunty Dodge. Do you prefer G1 nights with multiple four-star matches or a night where there's one four-and-a-half-star match, but everything else is around 3 to 3.5? Uh, I mean, I guess context is key, but I guess I prefer the more consistent situation. I don't know why I can't have four plus the four and a half. Like, give me all of it. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had to choose, I would definitely, I would choose, yeah, multiple. It give me eight four-star matches. But at the same time, it's eight matches, and that's not necessarily feasible. Yeah. Uh, next question from Lazy Binger: With G1 Climax Finals almost being a mini New Japan Cup, would you consider making New Japan Cup a double elimination tournament or replacing it with some other tourney, maybe a trios knockout tournament? No. Yeah, I mean New Japan Cup is far away enough. It's not a full out traditional big, you know, thirty two man single elimination bracket. I, I think it's different enough that. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Next question here from Kurtz1987. Thoughts on the crowd for these first two nights? Personally, I thought they were really poor, barely re- reacting for any foreign talent and not even making a lot of noise for the domestic talent. Can't understand why they didn't start the opening of G1 in a place that would be going crazy for the wrestlers like Osaka or Tokyo. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree there. Yeah, and for a reason, you know, Hokkaido's kind of been one of a traditional stop for them for opening the G1. But yeah, the the crowd, like we mentioned, especially night one, were very quiet, kind of opening up the show there. But yeah, I think starting off in Corkin or Osaka Joe Hall somewhere, like that would have been a great like hot start for the tournament. And did us PR? Were you disappointed at all with the caliber of matches from the first two nights? Somewhat, but I feel like we saw the wide span of uh, sort of all, like the, the whole gamut of what New Japan has to offer right now. There was some stuff that I really hated. There's some stuff that was indifferent to. And then there's some stuff that I thought was really great. There was nothing that I thought was peaking at the highest of highs when it comes to, you know, top match quality uh, in New Japan. But it was there. There were certainly some very great matches, and there are some awesome stories throughout the tournament, and a lot of excitement, a lot of fresh, you know, new kind of things happening. So, I'm still very excited for the remainder of the tournament moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, the remaining tournament's going to be great. And um, you know, normally the first two nights we usually don't see like the the high end four and a half plus matches. I think the first few nights are usually more about upsets, uh, which we did get some of those. And, you know, overall, there was some great wrestling. So, um, yeah, I'm still looking forward for the rest of the tournament. 
Last Commission 7252 says, were you guys surprised with half the main eventers, such as Osprey, Tanahashi, Naito, Kenta, and Chingo, losing their opening matches? No, that's pretty common for New Japan uh, G1 Climax tournament openers, day one and day two. Yeah, like I said, you know, night one, two, night two are all about the upset. So all these guys losing, not a surprise. Especially, especially, if, oh, good. Also, especially since they're a lot of those are probably going to end up in the quarter. So it's going to be a come from behind story for a lot of these guys. Oh, that's a great point. I was going to say, you know, it's a 32 man tournament. There's bound to be quote unquote main eventers, uh, you know, jobbing. There's a lot of main eventers <laughs> in this tournament. So, yeah. Uh, then he also asked best opening best opener matches from each block from day one and two. Best opener matches? Does he mean the first match of the night? There's only one match of the night each night. Uh, maybe just he means best matches from each block from day one and two. Well, I liked Umino and Narita day one, and then uh, as my favorite, and then day two. I I actually, you know what? I think I liked uh, I liked Ishii and Finley the best personally. Yeah, uh, day one uh, from the, the A block, Narita and Umino. Uh, B block would be uh, Taichi and Will. Then day two, uh, C block, I would go Finley and Ishii. And then from the D block, I'd probably go Cobb and Naito. Oh, they meant from each block. I just thought they meant from each night. It's <laughs> yeah. all good. Um, let's see. Next question here. Uh, Rainsy Wrestling says I was planning on skipping many guys' matches, such as Coglin, but now I'm the complete opposite. Has the G1 so far made you feel that way about anyone? That's one thing I will say. I haven't been surprised by anything so far. Nobody's really turned my head in a way to where, you know, they've given me what I didn't expect from them. Right, maybe if you're and Renzi Wrestling, I know you, you watch New Japan, but I don't know if maybe if you're somebody who hasn't, hasn't been paying attention fully this year, maybe not knowing what Coglin's all about or, or Gabe Kidd or Kiyomiya or Suji or Narita, if you're not kind of plugged in on who these guys are and what they've been doing, it, it might kind of be like, ah, I, I can skip their matches, but I haven't been, yeah, like you said, I haven't been surprised by anybody. I think everybody that's in there has been doing great. Like, I would never want to skip Coglin, unless he's going to do total chick stuff, but like Coglin was great in his match. A lot of the, the young guys have been really fun to watch. So um, that's going to do it for our review night one and night two. Thank you guys for the questions. We've got uh, four nights of action between now and next week's show. G1 Climax night three, uh, Yamagata Sports Center. We've got uh, Chase Owens versus Kato Kiyomiya, Kenta versus Great Okan, Gabe Kidd versus Hikaleo, Taichi versus Tengaloa, Ren Narita versus Yotasuji, Yoshihashi versus Will Ospreay, Sonata versus Umino, and ELP versus Okada. Just one match you're looking forward to from that turn from that uh, evening, Jeremy. Ren Narita versus Yotasuji. I'm right there with you. That's the one that I'd pick as well. Um, the next night, night four from the Zebio Arena in Sendai, we've got uh, Yano and Zack Sabre Jr., Mikey Nichols and David Finley, Jeff Cobb versus Coughlin, Eddie Kingston versus Evil, Tanahashi versus Shane Haste, Shingo Takagi versus Aaron Hanare, Hiroki Goto versus Naito, and Tomo Ishii versus Tamatonga in the main event. For me, I'm most looking forward to Shingo and Hanare for that evening. 
yeah, same here. They, they've had some great matches this year, and I think Hanara is going to get uh, his first win over Shingo here. Nice. Night five, we've got uh, Aore uh, Nagoka. We've got Yoshihashi versus Tangaloa. Gabe Kid versus Ren Narita. ELP versus The Great Okan. Chase versus Hikaleo. Kenta versus Will Ospreay. Kiyomiya versus Umino. Taichi versus Okada. And the main event is Sonata versus Yota Suji. Uh, Kiyomiya versus Umino is going to be the one I, I got circled for that night. There's a lot of really great matches on night five. This whole evening is one that I, uh, so far of everything I've read, I'd really recommend. I, I, I'm inclined to say Gabe Kidd and Renarita, but with everything that's happened with Gabe Kidd, even though I love this, you know, kind of new like shit heel sort of thing, I don't know how good that Renarita match is going to be from an in ring perspective. I think I'm probably most excited for Snot and Yoda Suji. Yeah, big rematch from Dominion. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Nice. And then night six, Nagano, big hat. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. opening up with Alex Coughlin. Mikey Nichols against Tamatonga. Goto versus Shane Haste. Uh, Kingston versus Hanare. Yano and Naito. Ishii and Takagi. Tanahashi versus Jeff Cobb. And your main event is Evil versus David Finley. So I think uh, everybody's going to have... Uh... Ishii versus Shingo circle for this night is a match we're looking forward to. I totally agree with you from an in-ring perspective, but there's a perverse curiosity <laughs> about Evil and David Finley in the main event that I, that I think everyone can kind of get with. So, yeah, maybe we'll That's- finally get a, a resolution to this, you know, Bullet Club storyline. Are they in? Are they out? What what the deal is with Evil and Finley? Well, Evil did say during the press conference, he said, even though I am Bullet Club, just remember, David Finley, I'm at the forefront, whatever that means. So yeah. uh, that's going to do it. So we'll re- we'll review those uh, episodes or, or events next week. Uh, for the news, uh, fans from overseas can now buy tickets for G1 Climax 33 finals in Ryogoku. It was announced this past week that Naomichi Marafuji has an opponent for his anniversary show. The pro wrestling Noah star will face new Japan pro wrestling's will Osprey September 17th at Cork and hall as part of his 25th anniversary show. Big match. Will Osprey has been asking for that match for quite a while now, and it's finally happening. Yeah, that's going to be great. Looking forward to that one. And JPW has officially announced the 2023 edition of fighting spirit unleashed. This year's events will take place Saturday, October 28th from Samstown, live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Tickets on the show will go on sale beginning Tuesday, July 18th. Julia's first defense of the NJPW Strong Women's title will take place in Philadelphia next month. There's a feature documentary that's hitting cinemas across Japan soon, In Search of Antonio Anoki, and it's coming to theaters October 6th. I'd like to probably check that out when we get a chance. Yeah. The All-Star Junior Festival USA uh, 2023 event. There's been a new talent announced as of this week. We have Hiromu Takahashi, Rocky Romero, Nick Wayne, Shun Skywalker, Speedball Mike Bailey, El Desperado, and Doki. Should be a really fun show. A lot of great talent there. Looking forward to it. Trey Miguel is the new X Division and new X Division champion. Leo Rush will face IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Hiromu Takahashi and Mike Bailey in Philadelphia at Multiverse United too. So that's an interesting thing because it seems like Leo Rush just turned heel, but he's still part of chaos. So not sure how that's going to play out. Yeah. 
I, I guess, is he still chaos for life? Hard to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was pushing chaos really hard. So, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens there. IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Sonata heads back to Toronto on August 27th for Impact Wrestling's Emergence. Rev Pro's 11-year anniversary show, Saturday, August 26th, will feature Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi, as well as JJ Gale and Kosei Fujita, and Ricky Knight Jr. taking on Zack Sabre Jr. Jushin Thunder Liger made an appearance on this past week's Saturday AEW collision, but it was about 10 seconds. Blink, you would have missed it. <laughs> yeah, they, they made this man put the suit on, fly the U.S., for that, for that little like segment there. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, not good. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Matt Cardona was announced for House of Glory's high intensity on Friday, August 18th. Why? Who booked this? <laughs> on my birthday. Who, who booked this? <laughs> Freedom's event on August 11th will feature El Desperado and Jun Kasai versus Rina Yamashita and Masa, uh, Masahi Takeda. So more deathmatch shenanigans for Desperado. Finally, uh, Minoru Suzuki was on the latest episode of Hey EW. I don't know what that is. <laughs> so it's a little talk show YouTube thing that RJ City does on the AEW YouTube. And it was absolutely hilarious because, you know, obviously Suzuki is not speaking much English. So RJ's doing his whole stick, all these funny questions. And Suzuki's just like, huh? And it's like saying random stuff in Japanese. It was freaking hilarious. <laughs> I, you know, one of our friends said that Suzuki was on Hey EW, and I thought he was just being funny the same way that, like, we'd be like, we call Triple H H. Yeah. I just thought he was talking about AEW, and I was like, which episode? (laughs) Was he on Collision, or was he on, like, I didn't see him. Where was he? I had no clue what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's like about six, eight minutes. Yeah, you got to watch. It's hilarious. Well, that's going to do it for the news. It looks like we got about three questions, then we can go home. Yeah, so Barry Wall says, with the news that Kevin Kelly signed to AEW, I thought Ian Riccoboni would possibly be in line to take over, but now he has signed with AEW. Also, uh, in the event both go full-time in AEW, who do you see possibly taking over for New Japan as the main English commentator? A couple guys right here that could probably fill those shoes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, give us a call, Gato. <laughs> Uh, hey, maybe uh, our friend Mavs Gillis can uh, get back in the booth. Yeah, where's Mavs? I like Mavs. I don't know. He's been more Mavs. Yeah, he's been been undercover. Uh, next question here from Rod Easter. He says, "Yeah, is Young Boy still not us?" Yes, I'm not black. <laughs> <laughs> not, nothing. Nothing has changed. <laughs> Nothing's changed in the past few weeks. No. <laughs> Uh, uh, last question here from Hawaiian Punch BB. How did Glate announce Abushi before AEW? I don't know. Big Dick Energy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Glate cares at all <laughs> about AEW's booking or announcements and trying trying to sell tickets for their show. <laughs> yeah. So. That is going to do it for the question. So we're going to jump into recommended match of the week. And uh, last week, I recommended the excursion match of the week, Yuji Nagata versus Yuma Aoyagi for the All Japan Triple Crown title. Jeremy recommended to me Satoshi Kojima versus Jerry Lynn from MLW Reloaded. 
September 26, 2002 for the vacant MLW title. And Jeremy, I did watch this match. Um, very good. Very good. Uh, simple storytelling. Very basic. Hard hitting. Very, like, this is like your quintessential professional wrestling style match. Like, big house energy. Um, it's interesting because, like, it's Kojima in 2002, which, by the way, I don't know if you should have even been able to recommend this match because technically, technically, Kojima didn't work for New Japan in 2002 any longer. Mm-hmm. That, he that. wasn't all Japan star at this point in time. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess we're going to let you pass on this one, but playing fast and loose with the rule that I was already p- playing fast and loose with. But um, nonetheless, Kojima um, did beat Jerry Lynn in a very spirited, probably 13-minute match. Um, this was, I don't know where exactly, but it was in one of those art deco style ECW house show, New York style arenas and a very different kind of indie crowd in 2002 (laughs) than the kind you'd see in 2022. Yeah. But, um, they didn't seem to know who Kojima was. And at first this was very much like a, uh, kind of like a work rate indie style big match, but then. Kojima's like, fuck it, I'm just going to lean into the heel, heel shtick. And he started, you know, giving this man chops and go, woo! <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just having fun with it. Crowd got into it by the end. Um, I didn't think the match was anything that was, like, spectacular. I probably go, like, three and a half here. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something that's a curi- like a curiosity where it's like, I didn't know Kojima. Well, I did, but like, there's probably a lot of people that are that would hear about this match and say, like, I didn't know Kojima was in America in 2002 working MLW. But here's the funny thing about it, Jeremy: I always had a memory of Kojima working extensively for MLW, like he worked extended tours for them or something, because he was champion for a long time. Mm-hmm. This man had three matches <laughs> for the company. <laughs> Yeah, he because uh, he went on, he went back to Japan with the title. Did a bunch of he defended the title in Japan. Yeah, and they would air, they would air it on the weekly TV, so it made it seem like he was there longer because he was still showing up, quote unquote, on TV. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I thought he had this like kind of legendary run, which he kind of did, but it was mostly in Japan where he's working Zero One and All Japan and uh, other indies and stuff. So kind of sneaky there, but um. Very, very, very good match, and and Kojima, you know, killed Jerry Lynn with a very big uh, Western lariat. Funny thing with it, they were uh, they had Taokia out in the um, crowd, and the entire time they're talking about how he's the number one contender, and whoever wins, they're going to be the guy. And they like go, they do the close up, and he's like giving the the stink face to Kojima, and like you're pretty sure they're going to lock it up. They never wrestle, <laughs> not in not in Japan. Or in America. It just never happens. But it's a big part of the presentation of the television product. And it would turn out that Vampiro, of all people, was the next <laughs> North American title challenger. for So whatever. But, um, yeah, good match. Very fun. Um, and, oh, last thing I'll say. It's, it's, prob- it's strange because Kojima doesn't look very different in 2002 to the way he looks in 2003. Right, exactly the same. <laughs> he looks, and he doesn't even wrestle that different either. He's kind of the same guy. Oh, man. 
So yeah, so uh, excursion match using Nagata versus Yuma, Yuma Aoyagi. Uh, this was an awesome matchup. Yuji uh, Nagata, he's uh, working over the arm throughout the match to set up the Nagata lock number two. He's doing um, a lot of hard strikes, a lot of great suplexes. There's a great spot uh, where he gives an exploder suplex to Yuma on the apron. That was a, a nasty bump there. Uh, but Yuma was uh, fighting back as well. Again, very hard hitting, a lot of hard strikes from back and forth between uh, both guys. And uh, Nagata gets control again, and he's kind of unloading the barrel on this guy. He's hitting, you know, the, the big um, Justice backdrop drivers. He's hitting a multiple of those. Uh, but the key is he's not getting the, the bridge that he normally gets on those, but he's hitting these multiple backdrop drivers on Yuma. He's not able to put him away. He eventually does get him in the Nagata lock number two, but Yuma was able to get out of that. He comes back, he hits a, a rock bottom, and the announcers did call it a rock bottom, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Um, so he comes back, hits his uh, big finish, and gets the win over Yuji Nagata and reclaims the championship for all Japan. Yeah, uh, where would you go, um, you know, ratings-wise on this one? Uh, like four and a half. Oh wow, that's that's great. Yeah, I thought. Did it was you low. like? Did you like this one more than the match with Miyahara? Um, I think I like them about the same. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, I think definitely, but, definitely could be a fringe contender uh, for a scourge match of the year. Nice. Well, what do you have for me this week? So this week I have the excursion pick going to go with Will Ospreay versus Leon Slater from RevPro Epic Encounters, their recent show, Leon Slater, 18-year-old guy, and I've seen the clips from this match and they look absolutely incredible, and I've seen rave reviews about this thing. Great. And um, since it's with it being G1 season, um, I'm digging into the archives, and my recommended match of the week is G1 Climax, 2004, night two, Yoshihiro Takayama versus Kensuke Sasaki, sitting currently at an 8.67 on Cage Match at the time. The Observer Newsletter gave it a four and a half. One of the more legendary matches of the G1. Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to. Uh, review nights three through six of the G1 Climax 33. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. Follow the network at Social Suplex. Follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on threads. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network at Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Also in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Suplex. On Reddit, you can find me, the pro black guy, John is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, who have their 200th episode coming up this week. Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Tomowitz. 
the AEW Match Guide, hosted by Sir Sam, and the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your body. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.